This podcast is a proud member of Culture Box. Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the Culture Box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. The Cellcast is recorded in front of a live streaming audience. And welcome to another special report from the Monster Island Foam Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through Tokusatsu. Yes, yes. And of course, Jimmy is here to help manage things during this live stream. This is going out to our YouTube channel, and also the audio will be sent out as a special bonus podcast episode for everyone to listen to. Everybody start jumping into the chat as quickly as you can, but here, joining me today is not one, but two special guests in yet another epic crossover between our two shows, Drew and Jacob from The Cellcast. Hello, cartoon lovers! (laughs) Turtle soup, anybody? Yeah. I'm with Jimmy. I'm going to have to trademark this catchphrase or if people are just going to keep stealing it. (laughs) But can we, guys, guys, I have to ask. I have to ask. Can we finally talk about something where we're not losing our minds? Okay. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> because this is I mean, what did you uh, see this the is. In this? Yeah, I was gonna say this is our third recording in yes. about two months together, and the other two times we were losing our freaking minds. Once before the worst thing in the MonsterVerse, he came Skull Island, and then for that freaking Titanic movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, tentacles. Tentacles. <laughs> uh, he's still oh, not on the island. There's no problem. <laughs> mm. yeah, that ice-throwing uh, that ice throwing abomination is still not on the island, and yeah, he's not going to be on the island. I bet, he's, I bet he's not even at the beta site. I, I don't think he's on anything. I think they're leaving him in the Arctic, hoping he sinks another Titanic or something. I don't know. He's, uh, maybe he'll see. I mean... I'm surprised he didn't sink his own franchise at this point because that. Just go listen to the uh, the Legend of Titanic episode for the Cellcast people. You'll understand yes. the frustration. <laughs> and just remember, there's a third film. There's a there's wait what what there's a sequel. There's a sequel to this to to Titanic. Mm-hmm. Wait 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 wait. I thought there were two movies at a TV show. He was confused. Jacob was thinking the third animated Titanic film because that includes Titanic. The legend goes on. Oh, but no, the sequel then goes to Atlantis and the. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I know about that sequel. I was yeah, like, three. I thought that's there were. were t- I thought this particular franchise had two movies at two. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here. <laughs> we are here, gentlemen, to talk about an actual anime, not a fake anime, <laughs> like Skull Island. I don't care what anyone says. Fake anime. It is a fake anime. <laughs> We're here. Well, to- some elements may have been animated better, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll get into that. But, but we are here to talk about Gamera Rebirth, the new anime on Netflix 
from the Titanic Terrapin, the guardian of the universe, the friend to all children. Let's just get all of his titles in there. <laughs> Gamera himself. Mm. So this should be interesting as usual. Whenever I come across anything animated in Kaiju, I have to have you guys on. It's just, it's well, a requirement. Since we, since we found each other anyway. Yeah, yeah, since we found each other. Although I don't think I covered too many animated things before I discovered you guys. True. <laughs> That's the funny thing. <laughs> so let's get right into it, shall we? Let's get right into it. So I thought we could start a little bit by talking about our history with Gamera. Because I obviously, you know, I'm the kaiju guy, mm-hmm. but and you guys are still pretty new to this. But I was curious, what I'm newer, is I'm more into it than Jacob is. Okay, warning. Okay, but I, I I'm curious before because the funny thing is, is that even though I am the kaiju guy, th- my history with Gamera is still a little bit different, and also weirdly enough, a little bit more recent than it is for a lot of other people in the kaiju fandom. But you know, what about you guys? So I I was gifted the MST3K Gamera box set yep. couple, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Hence why I, I have that no on the screen. Who, and I had no idea who Gamera was. Oh, really? At the, at the time, I think this was fairly... I was just then getting into like Godzilla... Mm-hmm. And I had been looking for the Godzilla MST3K episodes. Not that I knew at the time you couldn't find them. Well, only and, one ever got released, and then Toho said no ho, and the other one never yeah. saw the light of day. It was sad, really. But uh, my mom was nice enough to buy this for me for Christmas, buy the MST3K camera set for Christmas. I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm be interested in this, uh, this sort of thing. And then I watched the first one and then didn't watch the rest of them until many, many years later. (laughs) I did not watch the rest of them until literally two months ago. uh, When with a fluke, I happened to get both box, both the Showa and Heisei box sets, like really at a really good price. And so I started working through the Showa era and got pretty, I think up to, got past virus i don't remember which movie i i stopped at but uh, yeah, yes that, we know that, that one's important to you i think i got one past that i don't remember which one it was gear on gear on yes I, yes i saw gear on i i remember knife face knife head the original knife head yes so yeah i did get I, I got that far and then this came up faster than i could keep going so <laughs> So when you so say I, you I didn't get, I have seen I have seen the uh, the Heise, the first Heisei movie, uh, Guardian of the Universe. Guard, Guardian of the Universe. I have seen that, but I was in the middle of something else at the time and wasn't able to give it my full attention. Mm-hmm. So, so most of what I know is from you, Nate. Okay, I was going to say. So I, you mentioned the MST3K episodes. How many of those have you seen? Is it just one? I saw just the first one. Just the first one. So for the for. 
Giant Monster Gamera for the original. Yes. Oh, I have actually seen the riff tracks of Gamera with two M's. Yeah, Gamera the Invincible, which is the American re-edit of the original movie. Yeah, yeah. so I've seen both of those. Okay, and there is also a six. They MST3K famously did five of them, uh, five Gamera mm-hmm. movies back in the day, when, if, if, thanks to Sandy Frank. Sandy Frank, he's the source of all our pain. But, and that's also where the, the famous Gamera song came from. Yes. You know, which that song has ruined me by the way. Yeah. It's ruined everybody, but it, because, because, uh, now I can't hear the the Gamera March without going Gamera is really neat. He is filled with turtle meat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I understand that. But like, like I was saying, you know, what your story is actually pretty common. A lot of people were, of a certain age, I should say, were introduced to Gamera through MST3K. I was not, <laughs> interestingly. But, Jacob, what is your history with Gamera? Yes. So, kind of like... This Star- will be short. <laughs> yes, it's going to be short. So, kind of like Star Wars Master Apprentice. So, apparently, you are Drew's I, master. He learns I from you. I never said this. I'm making an analogy here. Come on. <laughs> and so then I learn from I, my, my kaiju master where I learn more about him because he loves kaiju and anything comes up. It's I, like, I'm oh, getting more this, into this, it. This. And so I learned more. I'd be like, I've learned from this podcast and him talking about the, the world of kaiju and learning. I'd be like, he talks about gamma. It's like gamma. It's like, Oh, it's a turtle. Oh, okay. Oh, I forgot. I did have one other earlier run-in with Gamera, and that was when he showed up in Dragon Ball. Yes. Wait, what? There's yeah. a cameo Matt, in the in the first season, first uh, saga of Dragon Ball, uh, when Goku gets Nimbus. Okay. The first time, Roshi is trying to show him how to ride it, and because Roshi, because you have to have a pure heart, right, to ride Nimbus, right, and Roshi. Most definitely does not anymore. Um, he can't get on the cloud. So he calls mini Gamera to come help him so they can all fly to Fry Pan Mountain. Okay. To save Chi Chi's dad uh, <laughs> and so, get a Dragon Ball stuck in a castle. But anyway. Uh, so my, my general experience with Gamera is listening to him talk about, you know, his growing love of Kaiju and, Talking about Gamera and just like who's Gamera? He'll talk about Gamera. And then well, I mean, I, he came up on the Cellcast last year. He win on a uh, Franken Weenie. Oh, that's right. The, he did because the, the giant because because the uh, that's right. Giant monster turtle is a send up to Gamera. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So yeah, my 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 vast knowledge is very small when it comes to Gamera. So the only thing I've ever watched of Gamera is this. Interesting. So yeah, we yeah. have someone who, so we have someone who is starting to explore the Gamera series. Someone who has only ever seen this, and the guy who knows everything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we got the whole spectrum covered here. <laughs> but for me personally, here's the funny thing: I discovered Gamera after. I discovered Godzilla. I was into Godzilla. And whenever I would go to video stores looking up stuff for Ga- looking up stuff for Godzilla, obviously the Gamera movies are going to be right there too because alphabetical. 
And I would look at the VHS covers and I would just be like, what in the heck is this? And I just didn't have any interest. And then I heard about Guardian of the Universe and how apparently it was actually good. And eventually I tracked down and watched it, really liked it. And then I heard the two sequels were even better, but couldn't get my hands on those until much later. So, you know, and then after that, my interest in you know, my interest in Gamera just really wasn't there because it wasn't as readily available, and then largely because of this, you know, uh, and then I got the Heisei trilogy, completed that finally, but I didn't really do much with the Showa movies until actually more recently, when the board mandated that I cover them. Those were a fun couple episodes for us listeners. Yeah, that was Not an so entire year, sir. All of season two, Year of Gamera. That was fun. By fun, I mean not fun. Sure, you've got important connections. We get it. You helped Gamera save the world from a space squid. At 10 years old, well, you got to, uh, whatever. Your, your convoluted backstory, we get it. As, as a, as a uh, fellow ex-Boy Scout, Jimmy, I, I understand your pain. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you got a merit badge for that or not, but yeah, yeah, well. Anyway, 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 so I eventually got to all of the movies. I definitely prefer the Heisei films and the Brave. I do think the Brave is grossly mm-hmm. underappreciated. Grossly, I absolutely love the uh, Gamera of the Brave. I will say I have been enjoying what I've watched of the Showa era stuff, but I am approaching this as I'm just watching goofy, cheesy sci-fi films. I'm not expecting anything serious out of any of these until I get to the Heisei stuff. Well, I'm going to prepare you right now when you get to Gamera Super Monster. I I know there's suffering in my future. That might be top five worst movies I've ever covered on the podcast. And it also might be at least in the top 10 worst kaiju movies ever made. It can't be as bad as all monsters attack. Oh, it's infinitely worse because all monsters attack is actually good. Do not disagree. Do not besmirch all monsters attack on this show. (laughs) How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? But no, no, it is it is so much worse. And the fact that Gamera went from absolute bottom of the barrel to peak kaiju cinema in 15 years is a, it just astonishes me. It just well, absolutely astonishes it. me. When you get a decent director behind the, the property, yeah, it's amazing what yeah. And speaking of directors and such, let's uh, talk a little bit about the background on this show. So this was actually something a little bit new for me. And I was a little confused by it. Cause I'm like, cause the first thing that I discovered that just threw me off was we were told this was going to be six episodes. I thought it was going to be the standard, you know, 25 to 30 mm-hmm. minute episodes, you know, pretty standard for anime. No, they're full length. They're about 45 to 50 minutes a piece. If they were airing on television, they would be a full hour. I have never seen an anime series that did that before, unless it was an OVA, 
with you know, OVA stands for original video animation, but apparently yeah. this is considered an ONA, an original mm-hmm. net animation. Which basically <laughs> took over the OVA market since the like mid 2000s. Yeah. Most ONAs, though, are only like 10 to 15 minutes long, though, in general. Yeah. So most of your short form stuff nowadays is are technically ONAs. Yeah. So that that threw me off. So even though we were told, oh, it's six episodes, it feels more like 12. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does. It, it should have been 12. Yeah, but that would have messed with the release them in half hours. It would have been twelve. Yeah, but that mess that would have messed with their marketing. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Would have messed with their marketing because they were touting this as Gamera versus Five Monsters, which we'll get into that because that's true and yet not at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So this was released on Netflix September seventh, two thousand twenty-three. So very recent. And it was produced by Katakawa Corporation, which, if you remember from the some of the previous Gamera episodes on MIFV, the, you know, Katakawa is basically bought the Dae's library, so now they own mm-hmm. all of that. They were a, they were actually a publishing company, and it was animated by ENGI. I had to look them up. I had never heard of them. And guess what? I haven't heard of anything else that they've made besides this. (laughs) They've been around for about four years, four or five years. And I don't know what any of the other stuff they made is. You know, I don't even know what they would be best known for, to be honest. Sorry, I'm looking it up really quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it says they were since they were founded by... hmm? Sorry, I do recognize like uh, one of these names, but it was not a show I watched. Okay, which one is so, that? Uh, Trapped in a Dating Sim. Okay. Yeah, I don't I know. I at least one. have heard of that, but I know nothing about it. Yeah. So I don't know what any. I'm, I'm tired of Isekai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, so I don't know what really any of the rest of this stuff is. And, you know, although hilariously, it says that. The studio was founded by Katakawa, Sammy Corporation, and Ultra Super Pictures. Good Lord. Sammy Corporation involved explains why they used all those Sega logos in the first episode. Hmm. I just think I, I just it's think true. Ultra Super Pictures just sounds goofily redundant to me. <laughs> Would you prefer Super Ultra? It's not any better. You know, it's right up there with you know, super duper mega force, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that explains exactly how I feel about super duper mega force. Oh, oh, well, yeah, because, yeah, because you had super mega force. Yeah, yeah, that was redundant. Super mega force was bad enough. Yeah. So I just called it super duper because yeah. I hate it. Yeah, exactly. So this was directed and co-written by Hiroyuki Seshita of the Godzilla anime trilogy, among other things. Which but- I still need to watch. There were people, including my friend, the Omni Viewer, who had doubts that he could make anything good because of the anime trilogy. But he said in interviews, you have to understand, Toho tied my hands. Katakawa didn't, so I'm basically getting to do what I want. Well, the fights are good, but we'll get there. Okay, yeah, we'll get there. 
We'll get there. So I'm sorry, I do have opinions. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I can tell. So this was announced <laughs> November 16th, 2022 by Katakawa. And a little quotation here. I'm going to put this on full screen mode. Can I get this to full screen mode? How do I get this into full screen mode? I can stream yard, guys, I swear. <laughs> there we go. So a little quotation here from Wikipedia. Quote, Shusuke Kaneko, director of the Heisei Gamera trilogy, had proposed an idea for a new film. However, Katakawa had been had already proceeded with their the, with their new project uh, by the time Kaneko presented his pitch. Regardless, Kaneko expressed his support for the project. So that Why actually upset both? that actually upset some people because they thought that you know that we got shafted out of basically a Gamera four from. Oh, why would them doing this six episode anime keep you from making another movie? I think they want to make this because it's a lower risk investment to see if there's still interest in a Gamera project. Okay, mm. now that is fair. Fair. That's the prevailing theory. And so honestly, I'm things, so honestly, I was rooting for this show to be successful just to get more Gamera. I'm still hoping he shows up in MonsterVerse at some point. I mean, that's one possibility I've heard people talk about. But a, a new Conoco movie would be pretty exciting, too. I'd be curious to see if it would be a continuation of the trilogy or if he would just do something completely new. And what he would have. I would love to know what his pitch was, to mm-hmm. be honest. I would love to hear that pitch. And let me tell you, Gamma is you know itching for, for some new projects. The anime was fun, but you know he's itching for new yeah. projects right now on the island. So I'm sure he is. Well, I mean, he was king of the monsters for, you know, during the year of Gamera because the board said so. Yeah, that went and, over well. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that went over well. So we are once again going to be borrowing the format that I got from our mutual friend, Ben Avery of strangers and aliens. And uh, he's doing a new podcast right now about what he said was the worst sci-fi show ever. You know, something called the Star Lost, you know, but and welcome to level seven. No we got idea. a bunch of shows. So we're going to be talking about plot, character, theme and style. So we'll be going over those those four quadrants. So I thought we would start here with plot. So just because I, I just to share a little bit more information with people. We did have some other writers besides Mr. Seshita working on this. We also mm-hmm. had. Uh, these are not as big as I would like them to be. I'll make this a uh, full, de- full deal, full screen. So Kenta Ihara, Hiroshi Seko, Seko, Tetsuya Yamada. And I would say that for this section, we'll be talking about story, writing, dialogue, and pacing. So obviously this is a six-episode show, but it's double length, so we're basically getting 12. Right. So, you know... And the way this was marketed was they they said it was going to be Gamera versus five monsters. So people were thinking, okay, so the first episode will be solo, and then he'll fight the the a, a new monster in every episode until the end. Not exactly how things panned out. <laughs> no, not exactly. Basically, it was you, uh, yeah the first five episodes 
fight a different kaiju, and then in episode six, we get a powered-up Gauss. So the show is bookended with Gauss, which just makes sense because Gauss is basically Gamera's arch nemesis at this point. Or as close as he can get. As close as he can get. He showed up in every era. He was in Showa. He was in Heisei. He was in The Brave at the beginning, so for about five minutes, and now he's here. So, I mean, compared to Ghidorah, not quite as exciting, but still. True. Yeah. I mean, we're basically looking at this version of, this universe's version of Rodan, but. Yeah, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I, and the one thing that I noticed after I think about two episodes, two episodes or so, I realized that the structure of this show is not unlike another popular tokusatsu franchise. Ultraman. I can see that. Because it follows basically the same sort of formula. Human characters investigate monster. Monster does horrible things. Monster then goes on full-blown rampage. Hero shows up at the end to help everybody after the humans fail to solve the problem. The only difference is Gamera is not a human-sized turtle when he's not a giant. Nope. So, yeah. So there are differences, but it's still basically mm-hmm. the same structure. And I think it works here. It's different than what people would be used to in the Gamera movies. The movies are set up differently where typically once you, even the newer ones fall into this formula where it's more like, Gamera will try to fight the monster early on in the movie. He will lose, and then mm-hmm. he will come back in a second round and defeat the monster based on what he learned losing the first round. Yeah. We don't really get that here. There well, there was one that was kind of like that. I think the one versus virus was like that to some degree, but for the most part, yeah, you're right. Right. So, what are your thoughts on these aspects of this miniseries? Okay. Uh, looking at the plot, I mean, the, uh, the general overall story is kind of, it's fine. I, I liked the idea of it being uh, a conspiracy, though admittedly it took a while to get to that point. It, yeah, that, yeah. that felt a little out Forced. of left field. Well, yeah. the first two episodes didn't even feel like it was anything but like a standard monster uh, yeah. thing, uh, standard monster fight kind of show. And then you get to episode three and they're getting on the boat and you're starting to learn more about uh, you know, the, the two adults with our kid, with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, okay, this is kind of interesting. But the and the longer it was, like I could see elements of okay, there's some kind of mystery, some kind of behind the books dealings that they're not showing us, but they're kind of alluding to it. Mm-hmm. And it's all going to come out probably. I assumed as and I correctly assumed it was going to come out in episode five. What was going on? Because uh, just because that's just how the climax, that's just how the structure felt like it was going. I could tell that's where the climb the the big what the 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 boss fight was going to happen. Mm-hmm. The big boss fight, which uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, virus was the big boss fight. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. uh, we do have super gauss at the end. Yes. 
But, and as cool and interesting as that was, that really did felt like, oh, we have another episode we have to make. Uh, so we can wrap all this stuff. Who's gamer going to fight now? Wasn't there a six monster? No, there wasn't. They're going to have him fight Gauss again. <laughs> again, like I said, they're going to bookend it with his arch nemesis. I'm a little well, surprised. That makes sense. But I, I did. I kept thinking, admittedly, when they, I wasn't sure when I was watching which one they were going to do until the monster showed up. So mm-hmm. it, I, I was, I kept thinking when they went to episode three, I thought, Oh, this will be the one where virus shows up. Cause he's a giant squid. And he, that's, and when he didn't show up in that one and it was, uh, was it Barugan? Zigra. Zigra. I'm sorry. Barugan is the one yet. who got left out. The one show a monster who got left out. Cause these that's, are all show. That's monsters. right. He's the one who got left out, and I'm a head. little surprised, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, uh, the plot line-wise, it made sense how, and to me anyway, how it went. Uh, I was uh, the, There were a couple elements that threw me, such as uh, how quickly the American bully turned around after one yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. And good Lord, he was despicable in that first episode. Yes. And then uh, episode two, while there was some interesting story there, it just felt like it was, it just felt like a bridge until they could get to the ship in episode three. It felt like it was just an excuse. Uh, Not that. And that, and I'm just talking about the the non monster fight stuff there. Once we get to the monster fights, it's like, I really feel this plot is an excuse to line up five monsters, six monster fights. And to some degree, I kind of, that's all I needed. Mm Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that does lead to some cheapness in the non-monster fight sections, which we'll talk yeah, about later. Agreed. Right. Well, and I've I've got some opinions on that. I had a discussion with one of my podcast friends about that, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is weirdly enough very much in the Gamera tradition. <laughs> Gamera. Well, I mean, uh, Gamera was made by a lesser studio. In yeah. Japan, because Dai was nowhere near, was not as prestigious as Toho was. And so, and he never had as much money thrown at his movies as Godzilla did. So, the fact that we fast forward and now Gamera has an anime after Godzilla has gotten two now, really, because you had the, 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 the anime, mm-hmm. the trilogy of movies, and then Singular Point, and both of those made by. Very well known, very uh, very pedigree animation studios with a, a lot of money, and then you get this, and it's I don't I, I had never heard of the studio and never heard of any other stuff. So, it, it, like I said, it's the Gamera tradition. <laughs> do do as best you can with less than Godzilla. <laughs> that is fair, but yeah. I have some things I wish they would have done different. But we will get there yeah. when we get there. We will get there. Do I have to hit a rant master for this? No, no. <laughs> it's actually not that bad. It's just I yeah. did some, I, I did a little bit of extra research trying to figure out some of my, where, where my dislike of this game, dislike of the animation style came from. But right. we'll get there. Well, yeah. We'll get there. But Jacob, got any <laughs> thoughts on the, on the plot? Uh, Story wise, I mean, like, it's like Drew said, be like, there's a lot of more, like the first three to four episodes feel more just like, it's just, Gamera versus another kaiju be like <clears throat> Gamera seems to lose, but then gets the upper hand again and wins. 
and we get this unveiling of be like, oh, these are the special kids. These are the chosen kids, or as I, I like, to, or as I like to call them, the snacks. <laughs> the snacks. See the snacks. See, there's a there, eat them. The kai. See, the kaiju fandom already has a nickname for kid characters Kenny's. in these things. We call them Kennys. Kennys. Okay. We call them Kennys. It's an MST three dubs hmm? for the for the one of the English dubs for the. Uh, it was for, for the, the original movie. Film. They they named the the, uh, the dub company named the kid that was on that one Kenny for some reason. Oh. And then the when that got released on Mystery Science Theater 3000, it just became the name for all the kids that kept showing up in here, and that's kind of traversed out into the rest of the fandom. And now any child who helps their, their favorite giant monster is called a Kenny now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just clarification. So, or a superhero. So the, the three-headed dragon in, I think it's like in Godzilla, King of All Monsters. You're, you're, you're talking about King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah. Be like that third head is called Kenny, right? No, no. that's um, Kevin. 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 Okay, that's okay. Kevin. That's entirely gotcha. okay, different. That you. is a completely Just different thing. That was a, okay. because of a gotcha, tweet gotcha, from gotcha. the director yeah, who was making a joke, and then the fandom latched onto it. Fair. Which <laughs> no, no, Kenny. Thing when you realize that's Kevin's head in Mecha Godzilla. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So it's Mecha and Kevin. He's not acting like Kevin anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin is angry. <laughs> oh, you would be too if you got your head chopped off. True. Yeah, but anyway, we're not here to talk about that movie. I, I'm, I'm getting the evil eye from Jimmy. I think he's trying to tell me to stay on target. Anyway, so. He's going to be thinking that a lot with this group. Yeah, yeah I think he is. I think I his mean, targeting here might be a little off. Yeah, maybe a little. But. Yeah, so I the, the structure is pretty simple. The structure is basically what I think you would want for something yeah. like this. Now, I know we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but this is still technically part of the plot. We have a very strange ending in this. Mm-hmm, well, yeah. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. The ending is surprising. The problem I have is that once you get to about episode five and it starts throwing plot twists at you... It oh, gets yeah. a little wacky because <laughs> yeah, suddenly, because yeah. suddenly one of the adults is evil mm, and that heel so turn felt to a, get eaten. What? Yeah. And then she gets <laughs> I was eaten. so happy to see her get eaten. Yeah. Well, but the, here's the thing. I was, I was as well, but I was still thrown off because I'm like, wait a minute. That heel turn is kind of sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she was kind very, of like the Murray. She, she was a very standard nurse joy s characters yeah. before that point so. yeah and then suddenly episode five she's like oh guess what i'm evil and i am part yeah. of a freemason style cult group that is attempting to bring about armageddon like this it's straight up conspiracy theorist stuff yeah, i yeah, i is. have i have a I, i'm a i have a friend who's a conspiracy theorist i'm like i've heard all this stuff from him <laughs> like this is exactly because the because the the bad guys end up being, and they're on the moon, which is great. Yes. Yeah. They're on the moon. They're on the moon. And their goal Always is to the use moon. the monsters, particularly virus, virus, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. Virus. Save it for after the show. All right. And virus was the villain in dragon balls battle of gods. That is true. <laughs> That's just virus. Like 
still. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> it turns out that they want to use the monsters to wipe out all of humanity so they can basically hit a massive reset button on the planet. Are you so you, what you're saying is without saying it is they're trying to take over the world. Of course. Of course. Well, it's not even take over the world. It's like It'd blow be very it up. easy once there's no one there. Yeah, it was like what's the point of ruling when there's nobody there? But so that's their whole plan. That's their whole plan. It's it's not convoluted so much as it's just crazy because there's not really been anything quite like that in Gamera before. <laughs> Well, yeah. And the thing is, is, they don't really explain why exactly. they want this to happen. Exactly. It's like, is this a religious thing that they're the descendants of? Why are you wanting this, these monsters to destroy everything? And why is Gamera your enemy because of that? Yeah. Why is Gamera the only good one? Exactly. Well, it's in the same. I mean, except, for, except for the, the, the twist that went nowhere at the end of it. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The last two episodes get nuts because they do. because not only do we have the plot twist about I can't remember the characters and we'll get to we'll get to them in a bit. So we had the the revelation that she's actually evil, and yeah. then we find out that Gamera, much like because this is the thing, this show in a lot of ways borrows a lot from the. I would say the three main series, the three main eras of Gamera and kind of blends them all together. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, it uses mostly Showa monsters, but the tone and I would say the aesthetics are closer to Heisei and then, hence why, and then, no, well, no, I would say that the aesthetics are closer to Heisei. The tone is more like the brave, but it's more like, but the story itself is a bit more like a Showa story where the kids get dragged into all these crazy things that they would yeah. normally never get involved in. In fact, there is one episode where like you're getting dangerously close to what people complain about with the Showa series with the kids being smarter than the adults. Now there was an instance where it made sense that the adults are consulting them because they the kids saw things that they didn't. Yeah, so like fine, I'll go with that. Well, and, and one of them had a special magical connection so to Gamera. Right. So that's right. Special. Right, and you know, I then this is why I have this it's picture on here. Mind. Shout out to Kaiju Kim who just lost her little mind when she saw this. But by the end of it, this is part of the weird ending. We have Baby Gamera, who looks like Toto yeah. from The Brave. He was so cute, though. He is. He is. This was a post-credit thing. The cynical part of me, though, looks at Baby Gamera here and wonders. Did you do this because of Baby Yoda? <laughs> no, they did it because Toto from it's the because because ba baby characters are the cute in thing to do right now. Yes, but Drew, they did it because of this thing back here in the bottom right corner. Either way, <laughs> like you put those next to each other, they're almost the same character. You can't do. You, you could do both. <laughs> yeah. You can use one as an excuse for the other. I understand that. Although I will admit, I have not seen a baby Gamera Rebirth merchandise yet. Perhaps Give that is time. still coming. Get there. Yeah. Bandai will make will get its well. money. Baby Groot sold well. Yeah. Baby Gamera could sell well. Yeah, I'm sure. Bandai is listening to this pot, you know, to this live stream exactly. slash podcast right now, and they're like, "How did we not take of this?" 
Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Yeah, just sell baby Gamera dolls. Little yeah. plushes. Little so, so we have hotcakes. Right. So anyway, so we have so we have all of this, and then we also find out that because the kids get a vision, and we get basically the origin of Gamera. It's this big exposition dump, mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, say he was created by an ancient civilization. The implication seems to be Atlantis, maybe. Maybe. It was Atlantis in the Heisei movies. Who knows? Not Atlantis. Yeah, probably not, but it was an ancient civilization. No, 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 no. I, I'm thinking forward to the next, one of the next few, next episodes you're probably going to be on on our show. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> I don't want that crossover. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> Between Gamera and Aquaman. Well, uh, Titanic. Dog with gun. Dog with gun. <laughs> hey, right up my alley. <laughs> Anyway, for the Titanic. Oh, oh gosh. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, so we get. So then we get all of that. So we find out Gamera was made to stop the other monsters, or at the very least, he's yeah. trying to stop the other. Or basically, he's the one good kaiju who wants to stop the other monsters, who were made by the crazy cult who was originally part of the civilization. So like like I said, it's a bunch of stuff to take in. It's just this dump. Yeah. And then we get to episode six. Everything goes bonkers. Mm-hmm. And then Gamera defeats all of the kaiju, turns evil for a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> pulls a Shin Godzilla, kills the the bad guys on the freaking moon. With the most accurate shot I have ever yeah, seen. Exactly. Does he have targeting on his targeting on the system? I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I've seen some kaiju do some crazy things. I don't know if anything quite tops what Gamera did in this. This might. Dude, I, if it had been a large blast that took off a hunk, a large hunk yeah. of the moon, that would be more understandable than oh i am i am gamma i'm going to take this sniper shot and only take out the the, the conference room where the bad guys are on the moon yeah, from yeah. Um, was that thousands of miles away thousands of, of miles thousands. away and it happens very quickly also i if I remember correctly it went straight through the moon it, it did yeah. go straight through the, the moon, moon has an exit wound right now yes but it yes is jimmy i know wound. you're gonna go fix it <laughs> He's, he's not bash stampede. He takes a chunk out of the moon. I think that would have made more sense. Just saying. Just saying. That was, to do. Yeah, that was insane. So then Gamera dies, which I kind of thought he was going to die anyway. But the other big yeah. crazy thing that happened, I'm trying to remember, was it episode four or was it episode five? I want to say it was four. Because one of the kids dies, which I was not yeah, expecting. That's at the end of five. five. At, five. Is that at the end of five? Yeah, I was not. I was not expecting that to happen. I will admit that. We'll get to that, that more. Was a with, nice twist. Yes. Yeah. I will. Yeah. We will get to that more in the character section. But I was not expecting one of the kids to die. But the reason I bring it up now is because we wrap everything up nicely. The credits start playing. And then we get a mid credit scene, which I, that's why I stay. And I'm like, There's, they always do this now. Marvel has ruined me and everybody else for that matter. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so then we we see Baby Gamera, mm-hmm. which I think goes. This is why I think the title is has a double meaning, but one of the meetings is metatextual. So it's Gamera yeah. rebirth because he he's reborn at the end. 
but it's also mm-hmm. a rebirth because this is the first time we've seen Gamera mm-hmm. on screen in about trying to do the math in my head, you know, since 2005, no, six, since 2006. So we're 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. But then the 1980s, <laughs> the 1980s cell phones, it starts going off when we hear the kid who's supposed to be dead trying to call his friends. Yes. And then it just ends. And I'm like, you're sequel baiting? You're seriously sequel baiting for this? Everybody sequel baits. That is true. Unfortunately, as much as I'm curious if Joe actually did survive, I still like, uh, where could you go from here? True. Right. Right. Actually, and which actually the, the, the villain of the next one. Yeah. Which I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, there's, there's possibilities, but I mean, we can talk about that once we finish the main discussion. I should mention the official synopsis for this, since we're talking about the plot, is during summer 1989, three elementary students witness Gamera in battle as monsters converge on Tokyo. That is a very stupid official synopsis, I would like to say. Mm -hmm. That is very Mm -hmm. nondescript because we've already unpacked a lot more of what's going on. That's pretty much, Mm -hmm. here's what you expect from a Gamera movie, and we're setting it in 1989. Yeah. Which, when we get to the style section, I have opinions about that. (laughs) I have opinions about that. Any more to say about the plot of this? Uh... I mean, it was it was a serviceable plot. It had a couple interesting things going on in there, uh, but there was also a lot of padding to get it out to forty minutes. Yeah, so really. Yeah, what agreed. did you feel that was the padding? Uh, the tank crew for most of the show. <laughs> okay, but. Oh, because God, yes. every time that oh. until the last episode, every time they're on screen, it's like, OK, here's the news that we, that everyone knows. But we're going to give you just a quick recap. It's like, you know, if you didn't put that at like if this had been like 12 episodes, that would have been a good excuse to cat to as a call as to, you know, the last time on Gamma Rebirth that you could have used that as the as the callback for that. But because they're all hour long episodes. And it's not really telling you anything that didn't occur in the last half hour. It's like, why are we dealing with the tank crew again? Because they're not doing anything. This one guy, I'm convinced, sleeps in his tank. <laughs> I think it's comedy part time. I, yes. I think it's meant to. Uh, I think it's just there for comedy and maybe as kind of like a Shin Godzilla style little commentary. Because they keep saying, like, we don't get to do anything. <laughs> Maybe, Except but it's still what's going on. Just still felt like we're seeing these guys again, and I know this scene is going to go nowhere. Yeah, the joke is dead after one episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was amazed they kept coming back. I will say that. Yeah, especially since like every scene, and now this is kind of getting into style. It's like you uh, you see the person at the same angle. Exactly. Exactly the same angles. Like you just copy and paste it. Yeah. 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 Well. Well. Like I said, we'll get. We'll get there. We'll get, well, we'll get to style in a moment. Uh, let's talk about our characters here. So while we're talking about the characters, I'm also going to rattle off our cast here. Now, out of curiosity, did you guys watch this sub or dub? That is the eternal I anime question. Dubbed. 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 I watched it dubbed as well. Although I did listen to a little bit of the original Japanese. For reasons, and we'll get to that. So, 
Quick rundown here. So we have Boko, our main character. I uh, voiced in Japanese by Hisako Kanemoto. It's a woman. And Ryan Bartley in English. Junichi, voiced by Aki Toyosaki and Abby Trot in English. You'll notice that that is a girl's name. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Yes, Joe. Yes, yeah, Joe Yoshitsugu, voiced by in Japanese by Yoshitsu, Yoshitsugo Matsuoka. Yeah, and by Robbie Damon in English. Then Brody, the token American, <laughs> voiced stupid in, American. Yeah, voiced in Japanese by Subaru Kimura, and Sean Chiplock in English. That name sounds familiar. Why do I recognize that name? <laughs> He didn't sound familiar, so oh, it's just it's just the name looks familiar. And then General Raymond Osborne, who's Brody's dad, voiced by Kazuya Nakai in Japanese and Patrick Seitz. Yeah, Seitz mm-hmm. in English, and then James Tazaki, who is our government man in this, our mandatory government man. Voiced in Japanese by Mamoru Miyano and by Kaji Tang in English. So I guess that's actually a Japanese-American actor. Nice job there. And then Emiko Melchiori, our secret villain. (laughs) Yeah. Our heel turn villain. Yeah. Voice comes out of nowhere. Voiced by Saori Hayami in Japanese and Susie Young, 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 in Jap in English. That also sounds Asian. So nice job there, guys. And then Nora Melchiori, who I think I believe that was no, oh, that was her mother. I think yeah, because Melchiori. Mm-hmm. So she's one of the council members. Voiced by Marie Oe and in Japanese and Karen Strassman in English. And then finally, Winston Griffith, voiced by Wataru Hatano in Japanese, and Todd Haberkorn in English. That name sounds familiar too. But this is, you know, so this is, I'm doing the info and stuff for you guys right here. Right. <laughs> oh, Todd Haberkorn, I, he's in like a lot of stuff that uh, Funima- what used to be Funimation, now Crunchyroll does. Mm hmm. He's a big voice actor in that corral. Hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've seen, seen him in a lot of things. Yeah. Well, don't you mean heard him? Yes, I've heard him in a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. He's, he's almost as ubiquitous in anime as uh, Johnny Young Bosch is. Yeah, just about. So anyway, like I said, mo- our main cast here are actually kids, although I have a little bit of trouble believing Brody is 12. He's the most yeah. well-developed yeah, 12-year-old agreed. I've ever seen because he's way taller than the rest of the kids. Maybe it's because he's American, so he's the idea is that he's supposed to be bigger and taller than these Japanese kids. I mean, I, in my, I was kind of looking at the, at the character sizes as being exaggerated mm-hmm. to, to just give, them, give more weight between them because I mean, the Japanese kids are, for the most part, all going to be around the same height. Roughly. Normally, mm-hmm. and then the Americans would be bigger. So I, that's kind of just how I looked at it. It's the same way I look at you know uh, Technicolor hair in anime all the time. It's not really that color, right? Yeah. 
Right. Although here they do have realistic hair colors. Yes. Because Brody well, is blonde. He's the one yes, blonde yes. kid. But Joe has dark blue hair. Yeah. But I think the idea is because he's Japanese, so he would have darker hair. Yeah, true. But I'll let it go. But yeah. anyway, so much like traditional Gamera, it centers around kids. Now, I will unpack this a little bit more in the style section, but I will say what this does do, what I've been saying for a while that a Gamera project should do, which is go the Stranger Things route. Because this group, Mm -hmm. these kids feel like they would get along with the kids from Stranger Things very well. Yeah, I can see that. In some ways, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, like I said, it's I kind of Gam- wish we had an 11 for the group, but eh. Boko, I guess, is technically yeah, filling he, that role. But yeah, he's kind of there because not. he's supposed to be the special kid. Because that's the weird thing. Yeah. And, and they don't fully explain that, which is a little annoying. No. They just say he's yeah. the special kid because if they feed him to one of the kaiju, in particular, virus, virus, whichever pronunciation you prefer, it will somehow make him crazy powerful. And he'll be able to bring about the end of the world, of course. But they don't explain why. Is We don't know if yeah. it's because he's a direct descendant of the ancient civilization, if it's something special in his genetic code. We just know he's a special kid. He's the MacGuffin. Obviously, that's something you save for season two. <sighs> season two. Okay. I, I'm not saying there's okay. going to be one. It's just you can tell this was written and I was like, oh, this is where we're going to start some mysteries and we'll explain them as later on in the series. Yeah. Right. Right now, and this each of these kids. Now, here's the thing, though. These aren't. I would. These are not. Mm-hmm. I would say that even though they have moments where they feel a bit like Showa era Kenny's, I know you're still you and Masao are still the best ones. I get it. You're like the two that I like. Unironically, I got it. The only two that you've gotten anything done so far. Yeah, <laughs> basically, that's why. They actually do things. But anyway, these kids are more like the kids in The Brave, where they are more proactive and they are far less annoying. But they all have their own hangups. They have some, they all have yeah. some very major hangups. Brody obviously starts off as a bully and a flaming racist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, yes. just a bit. Just a bit. It was uh, like, he was so racist. I'm like, oh, please don't be an anti-American commentary. Please don't be an anti-American commentary. Especially in that first episode. It's like, and I know we gaijin are not really well liked in Japan, but depends. It depends on who you talk to. Don't, don't, don't make us all evil. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, I work on a Japanese Island. Technically. (laughs) Cause Ogasawara is still controlled by Japan. But, yeah, so I was a little worried about that at first. And also, it's interesting because the show starts with an American military base, which is a bit of a sticking point for some people in Japan. So I thought that was interesting. So they Mm -hmm. went to some interesting places with this. So it wasn't just focused on the Japanese government. It's actually breaking in and you know some American influence in there. But it's a natural source of conflict, I would say. Boko... Boko's I'm trying to figure out what Boko's issues are primarily because he spends most of his time just trying to keep the group together. And then he finds out he's special. Yeah. 
and he has to deal with that. He's definitely the most well-adjusted, I would say, out of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some cases, yeah. In some cases. In some cases. But he's also very insecure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a very insecure kid. Because be like he's he's he is afraid insecure. to yeah, he's 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 afraid to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. He's afraid to be alone. Mm-hmm. He's afraid to be like yeah. you know. He's afraid and, to change. It's because he's at that age where yeah. he has to start transitioning between from being a kid to being a grown up. Basically, he has to start yeah. learning grown up things. And I and yeah. I think what makes it difficult for him because we never see his dad, and the implication seems to be that he has a single mom. Yeah, yeah. because we only see his mother. Mm-hmm. So perhaps Which that is took part me of it. A while to realize that's who that was supposed to be. Because I, I know because the character's just, older sister. Yeah, the well, the design for her is just bizarre. It is. Yeah, it looks, it's very it, bizarre. She looked all. She looked almost masculine in point. <laughs> I, I was guessing they were trying to go for like a, a like a late eighties feminism fashion thing, probably. But uh, I don't know. It's just it was just really weird. I will say she definitely. It took cared. a while for me to like her character. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I understand that. I mean, it, she she was never really all that despicable. She clearly no. doesn't really understand Boko, and later on, yeah. she really earns some, you know, some character points because she's going to bat for her son really hard, which is great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's insecure. He's scared, and that's why he has Joe around. Joe is his best friend. And Mm -hmm. he is definitely the braver of the two. And he's always trying to push Boko. The main problem that Joe has is this kid's rough around the edges. He's the punk of the group. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because from what we can tell, his mother is not around. It's kind of the opposite of Boko. And his dad is a deadbeat. Yeah. So he's Mm -hmm. basically had to assume a bunch of responsibility too early yeah so yeah, he's he, 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 he grew up really fast he grew up really fast so he's very rough around the edges and i will get into this in the style section good lord is he cussy <laughs> this is the cussiest camera anything i've ever seen yeah good grief and what and plus like boca be like he does have his insecurities be like he, does. he doesn't like being bucked up against. Mm-hmm. If someone kind of threatens his authority, he kind of folds in and walks off. Mm-hmm. Be like he's he's all he's all well, his, and show. His but, punk outer shell is a is trying to cover. Yeah, I think a very I saw a very insecure little boy on the inside. Yeah, agreed. I'm like thinking of the Jet Jaguar MST3K song. <laughs> His father cover up basic insecurity. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. And actually, I was thinking about this because we have a foursome here. And what's interesting is that when you see a group of four in a story, they all fall into certain archetypes. You see it with Ghostbusters. You see it with Ninja Mm -hmm. Turtles. You'll have the Mm -hmm. leader, the comic relief, the muscle slash hothead. And the, the the smart one, the genius, the brains. And yeah. I was trying to figure out where that applied here with this. And I will admit, some of these kids are a little difficult to classify. Like, I don't know which one of these I would classify specifically as the group leader. Maybe Boko. And as for, like, the muscle here, yeah, that could go to Joe or it could go to Brody. 
The brains is definitely Junichi. Yes. yes. Agreed. Junichi is definitely yeah. the brains. But I also don't know. So I don't know who exactly would be the muscle, and I don't know who would be the comic relief. It is odd, though, for there to be four main uh, kids, considering that four generally in Japan is a super, as the word for as a superstition in Japan, hmm. like because it sounds like the word death. Oh. So it is kind of odd that they did that here. Hmm. Yeah. But speaking of Junichi. <sighs> oh, wait, wait, we're talking about Joe. We mentioned Joe yeah. dies. Yeah, we're still in Joe. We, we should talk about this because that's a big thing. So Joe sacrifices himself to save everybody else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is a sacrifice that makes sense. He does seem like the one who would be the most likely to do it. Yeah. Out of all of them. Well, I mean, it would have been either him or uh, I cannot remember his name. The adult guy that was with him. Sasaki. Um, Sasaki. But he was knocked out at the time and wouldn't was not able to act like that. Right. Right. And given he's kind of the protector of the group, he's protecting Boko for sure. And he's trying to look out for the rest of them. He's the one who was the most reticent about going on the crazy adventure. Mm -hmm. He was Mm -hmm. like, what are you guys doing? We shouldn't be doing this. He's trying to be the sensible one. But well, one, yeah, and he, but he was also a little seasick too. Yeah, that, yeah, that was that, that's true. So when you get to the situation where basically they got shot into space, I know what that's like, and they're trying to get to the escape pod, and they find out that not all of them can get in there, and then he just says, "All of you go," and this is right after we had gotten this entire episode well, they, where they they he's all... crawling through a vent and he just gives his whole backstory. Yeah. They could have gone. They could have all gotten in there, but there was a problem with the with the launch, and right, the yeah. only way to force it out what, required one person to stay behind because the manual ejection was in the inside the ship, not in the ejection pod. Yeah, and the right. other pod was damaged. Which, I, which honestly, that's poor design. It is. It is poor yeah, design. I agree. It is now. It's, it's, it gives you more like a. Pl- a uh, it's, it's your a, excuse. A, an excuse right. for the plot for the sacrifice. Yeah, I can, I've seen stuff like this before. Yeah, I've, it's a trope. I, I've seen stuff like this before. Now, you could make the argument that he isn't dead because we see the, the ship fly off, but we don't see it crash or explode or anything. Yeah, I and still I think, think that's it's intentional a, so they can have their after credits scene. Yeah, well, it really was. But I did honestly think he was dead. And you know, I, I treated well, it as I, such. I thought because I thought the... Uh, the what impacted the uh, the tower where our quote unquote our main baddie was, mm-hmm. Bill. I thought that was the shuttle coming down. No, I don't. And think it into the tower. No, I could be wrong. I thought that was Virus himself. Mm. Well, virus, anyway, the virus anyway. was dead at this point. Yeah, yeah, but he was. Dead. But parts of him were falling. So true. That could be it. It could be. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But you I, know, I, it was I, I'm kind of assuming we're gonna find out much like Spock's coffin at the end of Rathacon. <laughs> it's gonna have soft landed somewhere and he's stuck on a deserted island and no one knows where Joe is. Right. Well there you go. <laughs> Which then kind of just completely just guts that sacrifice. Uh does it? In a way. I I don't know. It doesn't really, in my opinion. Okay. Granted it would mean more if the character died, but we didn't actually see the character that is die. True. We actually, it's just, a, a, they just make you assume that that's what happened for, for yeah. what is, but we well, don't ever actually get to see anything. And the thing is, 
the show telegraphed that this was going to happen very indirectly in the very first scene. Because the first scene yeah. of the show is Boko laying on the beach, narrating, monologuing about stuff that clearly has already happened. So we're coming in much later in the story. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the show is showing. Uh, and then the next five episodes is basically showing us how we got there. Yeah. And you know, so we eventually get to that scene. And now we understand the context for it. Though they did add some lines when we got there the second time that right. weren't in the first time. Right. So. Right. Right. So, like I said, yeah, it, it makes sense. And it was a very dramatic moment. I was not, this is honestly the most unexpected thing, I think, in the entire show. Mm-hmm. But it's one that actually made sense. Yeah, what's her name? The Emiko, her heel turn, kind of out of nowhere. It did kind of out of nowhere so it's it's unexpected in that regard this was unexpected because i've never seen a kid die in a game in anything game yeah. before yeah never that was strange yeah it was a pleasant but at the same time like gut-wrenching moment it was like oh my gosh he he makes the play that no one else will but like he pulls a spock and yeah. i mean like i was like wow that's brave that's bold to do that actually when you have a kid a child a, a child character not now that I think about it, that whole scene where Boko and him are talking, yeah. is very Kirk and Spock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Wow, it is. You put the parallels together, it is. Wow. Now, obviously, it was in the moment when it was actually happening, so it's way more dramatic. Well, yeah. not dramatic; it's more intense. But yeah, I hadn't. Wow, my mind's a little blown by that. Mine's a little but now let's talk about Junichi. This threw me off so bad because Junichi yeah. ends up being the token girl. Yeah. But Which for the first two and a half the- episodes, I was convinced Junichi was a boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was nothing really telling you he wasn't or she wasn't a boy. Yeah. And I think part of that is just because it's that type of kid who's naturally androgynous and obviously hasn't gone started going through puberty in any way shape or form yet so it could have gone either way and i just assumed since that the character was hanging out with two other boys that he was a boy well ever since be like they're all the three of them are elementary kids yeah be like in the fact be like so when they actually do give that reveal it was a nice reveal it's like oh that's that's an interesting reveal and plus I, looking back on everything, it's like, oh, that kind of fits. I can see how that works. Yeah. And it was at that point I realized there was a woman voicing the character, not as a woman voices little boys. It was weird. Because <laughs> yeah, there's a difference. I, I'm just, I just kick myself for not figuring it out until it's actually revealed. I think by episode three, because episode three is when they finally tell you. I think mm-hmm, I was yeah. like, wait a minute. It's at the end of episode three. It is. Yeah. I think during episode three, I was kind of like, wait a minute. Are you guys trying to say something here? And then, I mean, and then you find are, out at the end that I'm like, oh, good Lord. I mean, the, the fact that they're not wearing school uniforms is the only reason we don't know, but until yeah, episode it's, three. It's soon the summer. So otherwise, yeah, otherwise he would have been walking around in a sailor suit. Well, that or because there are different school uniforms. That yeah. is true. 
There are different kinds of school uniforms, but yeah. And be like in, in some. Well, none of them dress you up as weirdly colored Marty McFly. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Junichi kind of is uh, Junichi is beyond tomboyish. Like it is. Yeah. He, she is freakishly tomboyish because I, I was fooled, and I don't normally mm-hmm. get fooled like that. Well, I, and you don't normally see female characters being the conspiracy nut. Or the nerd, sure. or the yeah, nerd, or the so, like, hyper that, nerd. That yeah. through that, that, that they did an excellent job of hiding the fact till it made sense to bring it up. Because then you feel like Brody when he's going, Junichi's a girl. Yeah. I had no idea. And then suddenly he's crushing on her. Yeah, exactly. And that goes nowhere. Of course, it goes nowhere. We all he this happened in episode three. Yeah, I know. Also, it's an anime. <laughs> Romances tend not to go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> at least, at least in my experience, they drag it out so much because they want they want to keep true, that tension but, constantly. Yeah. They they love the idea of everyone being a part of their own harem. But anyway, oh. uh, yeah. Other than that, once I kind of process that, I you know. I learned to accept it pretty quickly and I just, I went with it. I went with it. After that, it doesn't really affect all that much. Mm-hmm. You know, so Junichi's able change, to so. just be a character. Yeah. I think at that point you just start to notice and it's like, that's like, okay, now you can notice the yeah. character is a girl. You, you notice they, they, certain, they hid that very well. You notice certain feminine mannerisms. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it would have been more obvious, Grant, since I have not watched the Japanese, didn't watch the Japanese version. If uh, someone may have used an honorific that would have given it away early. Maybe. But obviously, none of, none of her friends would have, and Brody would have no way of knowing. Right. I I don't know. I did. I think I tried to check a little bit. I know I was checking. So like, who voiced this character? Because I will admit... For a for a hot second, and I do wonder. I would be surprised if I dug around on the internet enough that there would probably be people who would try to argue. And I know I'm veering into potentially dangerous waters here. Who would try to argue that Junichi is trans? But I don't get that impression here. I just I don't that, get that I, impression. I just think either. Junichi is just extremely tomboyish and hasn't hit mm-hmm. puberty yet probably too young to even think about such things yeah 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 and plus like we find like some girls are a little more tomboyish they want to just hang out with boys yeah especially especially at that age yeah especially at that age right all right so i didn't i I guess i didn't think much of it we do have brody's dad he factors into factors into things as but he's in the long run and the same thing could be said for Boko's well, mother, th- they're just they're the parents. They're the token parents. Yeah. Yeah, but Brody's dad factors in more as the head of the American forces than yeah. he does as, United, as yeah. Brody's it's a dad. it's an Air Force base at Fusa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The- yeah. I'm, I, no, I'm, I'm just saying he he factors in more in that aspect of being the leader of the Air Force base than he does as Brody's dad. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And he's I mean, the one. I mean, it, it takes Boko's mom to pretty much ring him out for him to finally act like a father in that position and go mm-hmm. and save his son. Mm-hmm. And he's 
He's also one of those, the examples of, you know, we get this show a moment where the adults defer to the kids, but I'm thinking of from episode two, but it makes sense because it's its own, his own son and he's, and his son is relaying things he's seeing firsthand and just mm-hmm. trying to tell his dad who, you know, cause kid knows a bit about how the military works. So he's like, Hey dad, you need to do something. And he has to talk dad into doing it. So, yeah, you know, it, I, again, I wasn't bothered by that cause it made sense in context. Mm-hmm. Unlike in, in episode six, where the scientists agree to build a cage because Boko says, I think that's what it said in my vision. I get, in their defense, they were they had limited time and not a lot to go on. True, <laughs> but that does feel like, oh, well, listen to the kids who had the weird visions. Yeah, they seem to know the most about this giant turtle. Again, they had nothing else to go on. Fair. <laughs> I'm just saying nothing else to go on but i think the two adult characters that we need to park on are emiko and tazaki yes Mm -hmm. we need to talk about them tazaki tazaki is interesting because at first i thought he was going to be a little bit like i don't remember i don't remember what his real name is but in mst3k his nickname was corn job Mm-hmm. From the Gearon movies, it was this kind of Keystone cop goofball. He's yeah. got a little bit of that going for him, but he's a government agent, and but he's not quite like that. Although he does get played for laughs because he does things like, "Oh my gosh, I hate being on a boat," you know, and then he freaks yes. out about mm-hmm. that. Or I know a submarine. He's yeah. like, "I don't like being on a submarine." He freaks out. He was claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah he's claustrophobic. Very. That gets played for laughs. And, you know, the kids kind of push him around a little bit and things yeah. like, you know, try to take advantage of that a little bit. And then for a minute, you think he's a bad guy after Emiko yeah, reveals I, that she's evil. I wasn't sure he was because it didn't make sense for his character to do that. Not that it made much sense for Emiko, but I was like, you can't do that twice and expect me to respect you, show. If you do that, I'm we're going to have to have words. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. I kind of could tell he was he was look he he was more pretending to get a better assessment of what was going on because he knew he couldn't do that and them know he was not on their side. Yeah, yeah, he played the double agent. Yeah, yes, yeah. But I honestly thought maybe it's because it's I missed something. Miko did too, but yeah. she was well. She I, was playing for the other team. Yeah. Well, what I was worried is that I missed something. And when she revealed that she was actually evil, I thought they both worked for the same organization, but apparently that was not the case. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, like I said, if I missed something or if it was a moment of bad writing, I don't know. Granted, there is a part of me that that wants to see how the Japanese version took it because some things could have been lost in translation. But honestly, I don't think there was enough time for that much to be lost. Right. Right, because it ha- all happened very, very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he acts as kind of the li- the liaison for the kids. He meets the kids first in episode two, him, him and Emiko. So he acts yeah. as a bit of a, their liaison. He kind of manages them a little bit. He becomes their their friend. He's the one adult that they can trust, you know, which is nice. And he's also the one that, you know, when there are there come times where he needs to enforce, you know, a little bit of consequences on the kids and remind them that they're kids and that there are certain things mm-hmm. they just can't do, which is nice. 
you know, and he does get helpful at the end because he saves the kids from getting killed by the bad guys and, you know, and, and all of that. The thing is, is that the, he gets weird in the ending. <laughs> yeah, he does. He gets really weird in the ending. Now, one of the things that they established early on is that he has these 1980s kind of like, almost like cell phones. No, I know mm-hmm. I, yeah. I described them as something else, but you know, they're, they're like they cell were communicators. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were all, all purpose communicators, devices that they could yeah. bring up. It was the device that they just can get them out of a situation or allows them to understand a situation. Yeah. yeah I, okay. I, my notes, I described I mean, them they, as 1980 smartphones. Yeah. That's basically what they were. I mean, but the, I, I liked that the screen, even though it kind of looked when he was doing that, what looked like video conferencing in that one mm-hmm. shot, which yeah. looked like he's not actually video conferencing. That's just four avatars, uh, vaguely vague avatars of people. Yeah. Which yeah. made me snicker a little bit. Time. It kind of reminded me of metal gear solid. Yeah. But yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I don't know exactly like, see, this is what it makes the ending confusing. Because I don't know if there's a massive time jump or not. Because part of his credit, because his part of the post credit scene is he's Steve Jobs. And they they replicate the conference where Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone to a team. He's even wearing a turtleneck. Yeah. He's wearing a tur- he's wearing a turtleneck. It's the exact you know it's the, like everything to a T replicated, yeah. and I'm like, wait a minute, and wait. And, and then what he does is he yeah. unveils this communicator thing to make it commercially available. I'm like, what is going on? I, I was watching that and literally because I did not know about the end credit scenes at this point, I was thinking, okay, we're doing the where are they now segment which is kind of what it is. So obviously this is okay. At a later point, he was able to do this sometime in the nineties and then we'll jump back to, you know, the kids when they were in their next year of school going into the fall or whatever, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that was, that might be the weirdest part of this entire show. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on there. I really don't understand what is going on there. It makes sense. It's it's almost like it was made as a joke. It feels like it was because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's obviously taking advantage of whatever technology they were able to scavenge at that Eustace Foundation base and on the, I'm assuming on the moon too, but still. Yeah, it, I guess I don't know what to make of that. Now, we've already talked a bit about Emiko. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, Emiko. if Emiko is supposed to be this double agent, she fooled everybody. I bought it. I, I bought her yeah. whole routine. I liked her. She she even becomes in episode three the mandatory fan service. We definitely know she's a woman. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm watching that, and we're getting we get to that point, and it's like, oh, you're the evil conspiracy princess. Yeah. <laughs> She's the, she's the head of the family true. basically true if it weren't for her aunt she'd be the one in charge true so that kind of makes her a princess at this point i just love the i just love the fact that you just coined the phrase evil conspiracy princess princess 
Why not? <laughs> that is one of the funniest things ever said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else is she going to do? <laughs> and but I will say that scene where she's talking to her aunt and, you know, obviously saying that. I, oh, yeah. It's I, not her I, mother. I, I, it's I'm, her I'm aunt. Loading Sorry. over her aunt's failures. I'm going, this is pseudifiably creepy. And if she wins, this will be much deserved. <laughs> She doesn't even get past that episode. She she barely lasts two seconds into the last episode. So. I know, but it was it like, was just oh, so like, crazy. And then like her and Tazaki are flirting with each other. Tazaki asks her yeah. out. You know, like I was like, I, mean, I, I really liked their chemistry. Like, it's like like they're the yeah. like we're the two sane adults here with all these crazy kids and all the madness that's going on with the kaiju the, and the, the military. The way this was this was looking for a while, it's like they were the parents of this found family. Yes, it's like came that came together because of this kaiju, and then oh, she's the evil conspiracy princess, and he's got strange connections in America that. Are apparently connected to Apple, as we'll later learn. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he killed Steve Jobs and replaced him. <laughs> I don't know. Steve Jobs just is still working at Pixar in this universe. Uh, apparently. Who <laughs> knows what that did to Pixar? But it's just like they didn't uh, get bought by Disney. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. But anyway, Emmy, she is, it's just, I, there, her sudden but inevitable betrayal blindsided me so much i wasn't sure what to make of it i still don't quite know what to make of it it, yeah it threw me off when it happened except at the same time it was like she is the one who knows the most about these kaiju but you would just assume it's because she's the scientist character you always have to have a scientist character in these things especially since her being the the female scientist and her and the girl nerd mm-hmm. get together get along so well it's like there's no way you're the villain and yet she's the villain yeah but they don't give you any hint of that until the episode where she actually does the teal turn yeah yeah that's why they, it's they start, me off they, they so much giving, they start giving you a little bit of hinting at the beginning of that episode when they're looking at the gauss remains mm-hmm. that they took with them and it's like, because she obviously does way too much and even a scientist for this organization ought to know if they're all just finding out about these at the same time. But that's the only hint you get, especially yeah. when they talk, start talking about that uh, uh, Aurelium. Yeah. But, whatever that, but, whatever that MacGuffin yeah, is called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem was, I, they, I give... Seshita and the writer's credit, they took advantage of the fact, maybe this was, I don't know if this was the intention or not, but people were so used to tropey scientist characters who just know everything or know a lot that you would see that and not think anything of it. And then it it turns out, ha ha, that was me telegraphing the time evil. Okay. (laughs) the, The only bad part about it is, when you, I admittedly, I have not gone back and watched it since because I just haven't had a reason to. But I kind of wonder now that I know she's actually the villain, did they write anything into that that kind of subtly hinted at that that you that I would not have caught had I not known to look for it? I suppose good, it's possible. Good mystery will do that. Yeah, and I don't know if they've done that. I don't. I don't know either. Thoughts, Jacob? Uh, my thoughts definitely on on this character. She is be like there again like 
each one of you said be like it's more she's the nerd she's just she's the scientist that knows everything maybe a little too much about everything but like you said maybe like those kind of characters know these things be like they're gonna be the one who know about the kaiju know about this and know about this but her sudden be like it's like a like you like you break your neck with it's like what in the world happened the whiplash this character is all nice and sweet and be like who's friends with everybody mm-hmm. which that could have been a, a cue a, a, a cue into be like maybe there's something behind it but it's such a a heel turn like the uh, like in the wrestling industry where it's just like what in the world I mean, like it's worse and it's like it's like it's it's like they they had episode they were five episodes in or four episodes in they had to make a five, fifth one it's like wait what are we gonna do here let's throw everything at them and then the fifth sixth one it's like oh let's just go nuts yeah That's plot twist plot twist, like plot twist exposition dump plot twist exactly yeah it really it, feels like they had a longer they series did. in mind That's what i thought in terms of the writing, and then they realize, oh, we only actually have six episodes. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, we, need, we, need, we need to cram the rest of the plot in. Yeah, this. I mean, uh, double even length or not. From the be- even though they, I had to have been thinking from the beginning, we only yeah. have five monsters we're actually fighting. Right. So, right. Well, and, and the- like, you, like Drew said, be like, there was a lot, quite a few bit of uh, filler here and yeah. there throughout this episode to well, make them longer. And the thing that what makes it even starker and even more shocking is how completely different she is after it's revealed after yeah, it's exactly. revealed yeah. that she's the evil conspiracy princess. Uh, like she goes from you know sweet and nice and kind of flirty, really good with the kids to oh yes, I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah, not exactly. quite yeah, not quite Rita Repulsa levels. Scientist. But you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> but there's and but for still no unidentifiable reason that you're going to do all this. Yeah, but I, I think I think it would have been. I nice. do not know her motivation other than being the the princess of this conspiracy organization. Yeah, yeah. but it, like you said, she is so awful that yeah. when she gets eaten by the ghost three seconds into episode six, you don't care. No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> Like, I mean, why couldn't that have happened to Annie? Oh gosh, <laughs> thank you. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I can advocate for Gauss eating Annie without getting in trouble. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> no, I will not turn to the dark side even for their cookies. <laughs> Are they peanut butter? The cookie monster will be very disappointed in you. Oh, we all know he's a dark lord of the Sith. I mean, yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, but he and Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, it, yeah, secretly. <laughs> Stop triggering my producer. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, gosh. Oh, I bet he's loving Ahsoka right now. Oh I don't gosh. need to hit the Rat Master button for you. All right, we're talking about Gamera, not freaking Jar Jar. We can talk Jar Jar later. Yeah, yes. we'll, we'll talk Jar Jar later. Or not, whatever. Anyway. Okay. Okay, so we, I think we've talked Emiko to death at this point, and I think yes. we've unpacked the characters pretty well. So let me uh, get the, get this back up here. So let's move on to the next section, theme. 
because I'm saving style for last because I have a feeling I was pretty sure I was between this or characters where we would end up spending a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, theme. What are the morals of this story and what is it trying to say? Now, I know Seshita basically said that it was just meant to be a romp. You know, it was supposed to be monster wrestling matches. But, obviously, there's a lot of time spent with the human characters and developing a story and a mythology to the... And, you know, when you get to those last two episodes, it gets a wee bit convoluted. But, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a lot of anime is wont to do, it's just what happens anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've talked a bit about how this reminds me a lot of Stranger Things. So, you know, I don't know if there's a central theme. I can identify a few. We've talked a bit about some of them, you know, Brody getting over his racism and yeah, becoming really friends quickly. with these kids. Yeah, real quickly. But, you know, he becomes friends with these kids, mm-hmm. you know, with these Japanese kids. And mm-hmm. you know, we also, you know... Obviously, I can French, tell you what friendship's the a big part of it, too. What? I, said, I can tell you what the overall theme is. What is that? Friendship is magic. It- <laughs> He's not kidding. He's not kidding. <laughs> Just without the ponies. Just without the ponies. But, yeah, I was about to say, there is a big emphasis on friendship. Yes, and, very large emphasis. Yeah, and in b- both positive and negative, because, obviously, with with the conspiracy princess, she betrays everybody. But after she spent five episodes pretending, well, four, cause she doesn't show four. up for episode two, four episodes pretending to be people's friend. I, I have to say this cause it popped into my head after I mentioned the ponies, <laughs> my little camera. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> 90 minutes in and we finally got the sad trod boat. <laughs> oh i may have to draw that <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> camera in the style of my little pony it can be done <laughs> it can it can there please send it, it to me oh, and <laughs> please send it to me and second question can i merchandise it <laughs> <laughs> As long as it's percent of the cut. As, as long as Hasbro doesn't sue. Yes. <laughs> Hasbro or Katakawa at this point. Both, <laughs> both. You might get sued by both. I don't know. I mean, I was just I just want to put it on a t-shirt. Hey, That's people it. get away with worse. Okay. I, I know, but it's just the thought that crossed my mind. True. Anyway. Yeah, but anyway, so friendship. Uh, that makes sense, actually. And you know, when you're doing a story with kids, particularly at this age. Yeah, friends become very important. I think we were all there. Mm. We all all know what it's like. We got to find our tribe. We got to find our group at school or whatever. And most of these kids, other than Brody to a certain extent, but they're all outcasts in one form or another. When we find Mm -hmm. out their backstories, they were were not the popular kids, and they just kind of found each other because they had weird, quirky interests. It's very 20th century boys to a certain extent. That was another... That was another thing that this reminded me of, and I would not be surprised if 20th Century Boys, more much more likely than Stranger Things, was an influence on this. Yeah. Obviously, well, actually, there's more similarities now that I think about it. I've been reading the that manga, so it's all fresh in my mind right now. You know, with it also is dealing with 
conspiracies and kids. Well, the the kids are adults now, but you know they do a lot of flashbacks to when they were kids and mm-hmm. you know all the shenanigans that they got into. But yeah, all of that to say, yeah, it's it's a huge deal at that age, and I also do think, even though it's abrupt, <laughs> it, betrayal is not an easy thing to deal with. And so, you know, these kids, Tazaki, all of them, they have to, they didn't know who they could trust for a while. And honestly, they had to learn to trust Brody. And they had to relearn to trust uh, Tazaki after he pretty much acted like he was the the villain for a while to him. Right. Right. And And also you're also you're dealing with themes of growing up. Yeah, yeah growing up, a, yeah. yeah you, you do have a coming-of-age story in this. Yeah, this is, well, and I actually would like to... I think doing a... I think coming-of-age and Gamera work very well together. You know, given Gamera's history with being very kid-oriented, it just makes mm-hmm. sense to me. So I, I really like that. And, you know, it, you, ta- you mentioned found family earlier... Drew, mm-hmm. and that actually yeah. makes sense for this group because all of them I don't think anybody here other than maybe Junichi I think we never see Junichi's parents we never no. do so we don't know so but everybody else from what we've seen they're they all I just realized this they all come from single parents because I don't think Brody's yeah. mom it's is all around homes. Boko's dad is not around yeah and we and, know and we know Joe's, Joe's mom, mom is not around, not around. Yep. Because he has a deadbeat and we dad. Have no, we have no clue on Junichi. So yeah, yeah, we have no clue on Junichi. So that's actually kind of interesting. I'll, I would have expected something like this in maybe an American production, but this is a Japanese production, and all these kids seem to have single parents, hmm. with the possible yeah. exception of Junichi. That's interesting. So no wonder they bonded when they like they did because. Yeah, they're trying to they fill have a similar void. backgrounds. Yeah, similar backgrounds and trying to fill a void. And now mm-hmm. they, and now they're, uh, you know, they're at the you know, you you mentioned coming of age, you know, and you're right, Drew, uh, not Drew, Jacob. You know, it, this is coming of age because they're mm-hmm. at they're at that time where they have to, and that's certainly true for both. I think it's tr- probably truest for Boko. What would you guys say? This is definitely more Boko's story, and he does yeah, have the most. Uh, to overcome in terms of his insecurities mm-hmm. because I'm, like, he's the one who has the most character growth over the, the entire all six episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would also go to the point where like, uh, hold on. What's his name again? Boko. Boko. Yeah. Boko. Boko is this be like, he's the elementary kid. They're going to be like, we, we have this interesting dynamic of characters. And they're all bonded because they're they're kind of outcasts and like rejects of society society in some cases, and they're trying to make it through the world and they're thrust into something they're they're not expecting, and they're almost expected to save the world, but at the same time they have to uh, grow and mature. And you you have this this one character who has to grow up incredibly fast with the quote unquote the loss of his best friend. And the 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 mounting pressure of having to, you know, do the right thing instead of being the kid and shy away and let the adults do it, mm-hmm. but like he has to do it himself. Mm-hmm. So there again is the this you know maturity, gro- you know, growing out of adolescence and then becoming an adult in a way, mm-hmm. and they have to do that really rapidly at a younger age. Right, right. Oh, well, and we see a lot of rapid change in all of these, and 
do you think uh, I would argue that even Gamera plays into this because it, the the creators remembered he is the quote unquote friend to all children and he is friends with these yeah. kids like the entire time like the whole reason he's doing it and they even figured it out he's protecting us. Well, I think he's more protecting Boko. More yeah, protecting Boko, but they did. Sa- and they're getting saved because of you know their being, connection, being yeah. close to, close to the the yeah. uh, the guy. Yeah, which is actually a, not unlike. Ooh, uh, I can't remember her name now. Suddenly, but the girl from the Heisei trilogy, mm-hmm. where she has this magical connection to Gamera. Now, but interestingly, and again, they don't explain this as well as they should, but they say the monsters want to eat the children. Nom, 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 children. Now, it seems like later it's just wants to eat Boko, but because Boko's special. Yeah, but they... Well, I mean, they said the other boat in front of them had a bunch of kids that got eaten, too. Yeah, that was dark. It's like... Oh, I didn't know there were any other kids on this on this journey. Yeah, that was a little odd. Yeah, because it'd be like you you see where the our our first the the first villain we deal with the yeah. um, Gauss Gauss the little Gauss be like they're just gobbling everybody up. But then you see whenever the other larger kaiju be like they're going after certain targets, mm-hmm. and then be like you see where. Like throughout the course of the show, it's more like okay, they're actually targeting kids, and it's like, oh wow, this is be like, they're again an outsider of you know the the world of kaiju and of a camera and the whole bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, be like, be like all these kaiju want to eat children, especially this one kid because he's special, and it's just like, whoa, okay, this is dark, this is frightening, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a new experience, I would say that. For sure. Which I would argue, given what we've been talking about, it makes the title of the final episode, which is also a reference to an Arthur C. Clarke novel, Mm -hmm. it's called Childhood's End. Mm -hmm. Seems very fitting with all the stuff that we've been talking about. Because everyone has to grow up. Yeah, Yeah. because they all had to grow up by the end. You know, metaphorically like, speaking. Yes. Yeah. And also be like, you look at the fact to be like that, like when you're going, you have to grow up, but you look at so much of like today's world where people are just there, they're stuck in this you know, childlike mentality, mm-hmm. this uh, entitled the whole bit where you have characters like this who are adolescent children who are having to make adult decisions and doing adult mm-hmm. um actions where you have a world which is trying to be more like children yeah Mm -hmm. they don't want to be responsible they don't want to take the adult actions they just want everybody else to do what they what they want for them where in this you're seeing a maturity in a child in which it's kind of refreshing compared to our our more modern world Mm -hmm. yeah i i definitely agree with you there and i think we could stand to have a few more kids like this in the world who, have yeah, to, who get forced to grow up, you know, and, and through some of the harshest of circumstances too. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about like basically Agreed. all of them have single come from single parents. We f- get the impression that Brody is the way he is because he has a very tough military dad, which just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So he's a he's a military brat. 
he's got a level of entitlement there. You know, he's in Japan. He thinks he's better than better than everybody else. Better mm-hmm. than everybody else, and has to learn the hard way. You're not. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. You're not the equivalent of six natural disasters happening to them within two week period. Basically. Yes. That'll do a number on you. Yeah. yeah. That'll do a number on you. And you talk about, you know, being forced to make adult decisions, which is something that never happened in the show of movies. Like these kids get involved in the adult affairs and they just, they just do things and they don't really grow. You know, even mm-hmm. when they go on adventures, the, you know, the closest would be Jim and Masao. They're the ones who are actually being proactive, but because they were Boy Scouts and they knew how to handle situations like that. But, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Jimmy, you and Masao still hijacked the yellow submarine. I'm just saying. Excuses, excuses. He only got out of that because Gamera let you out of that force field. That is true. After forcing everybody to watch stock footage. So much stock footage. Uh, yeah. But like I said, I think we have arrived at the at, at the theme of the show, and it might be kind of corny, but like I said, it, it's kind of expected with stuff like this. They used it because it works. Let's be honest. They used it because mm-hmm. it works. It just does. Although, funny enough... Don't think I would show this to children that age, as we'll start no. talking about in the next no, section. This is really more teenage level. Yeah. Yeah. Really? It's, it's kind of weird like that because I. Okay, let's. There is so much blood and gore in this. Oh, good. Well, yes. okay. Well, then let's get into let's get into style then, but. Uh, but the, the thing is, is the, the the violence and the blood, that's a Gamera tradition. Well, I know that because I've seen so, so much kaiju blood watching these Showa films. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's such a bizarre thing. I think it just speaks to the differences in sensibility. You know, yeah. Americans in particular are not going to make children's entertainment that's that bloody or quite that violent, although some have tried. And then they usually get yeah. in trouble for it. Looking at you, Transformers, the movie. <laughs> you can't get in trouble for violence if it's against robots. <laughs> True. Samurai Jack taught us that. Uh, True. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't fight biological things. So the adult swim season. Yeah, that is true. But like I, but like I was saying, like I was saying, uh, there are just there are some stylistic choices made in this that are just kind of bizarre to me. As I said, this is the cussiest Gamera anything I've seen. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought it was a product of the dub. So whenever I would come across a particular, you know, a particular moment with a particular line where I'm like, "Really?" Then I would I actually rewound it and switched it to Japanese with subtitles. And ninety percent of the time, it was just disgusting. <laughs> well, they it, a lot of that still is going to come down to word choice, and if it's, it, I don't know how accurate Netflix aims for this stuff, based on age that they're aiming for. They could have just been oh, we're going to go ahead and go for a P, we're going for PG thirteen and or whatever in the dub we'll just aim for that in the uh, sub also so well what's know, it's a guess what's confusing is i'm pretty sure while i was following the news for this that it was announced it was going to be tvm 
TV MA. But on Netflix it itself, it says TV 14. But then you actually watch it, and there are some episodes that have multiple F-bombs in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And well, I'm like, wait a second, guys. That's because the TV ratings don't have a, an organization behind it like the Motion Picture Association of America. True. These are all, all, all the TV ratings are assigned by the people who make it. Yeah. True. So the only that thing is keeping true. it from being it, worse is uh, a lot of people complaining about it. Yeah. What was that again, Jimmy? Oh, it's the MPA now, not MPAA. They my, dropped America. My apologies. I, I forgot that we're no that they're no longer American. Apparently not. But yeah, so that so that throws that threw me off. And I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. Again, I think it's a, they're trying to go, trying to make this like an eight, it's set in 1989. I've already compared it to Stranger Things. I do think they're trying to make this like a 1980s coming of age teen, teenage movie, you know, like mm-hmm, a stand sure. by me, that sort of a thing where the kids are going to be very rough. He's very rough language. It's mostly Joe. I will say that. And it makes sense. With Joe, it makes sense. With Joe, it makes sense. The other, I think the, Brody says it too, but that's because he's a jerk. (laughs) Well, and he's supposed to be the foul-mouthed American. Yeah, but he's not as foul-mouthed as Joe. Right. Joe is the worst. Juniche, I don't think, ever talks like that. And Bo- neither does Boko. Bo- Boko no, does Boko like- does it a couple of times when yeah. under extreme duress. Okay. I forgot that, but okay. Yeah. It's just, like, and the funny thing is, the kids are cussier than the adults, which is just. Oh, that funny. is true. That is funny to me that they are cussier than the adults. But. And no one ever corrects them about anything. No. No. Never. They don't. They don't, but you know, since we're on the subject of the uh, you know of the voice acting, I mostly watch this in dub. I always with anime, I will start with a dub, and if I think the dub's terrible, I switch to Japanese. The first time I watch it, yeah, it is so rare nowadays. This is not like the days of like the nineties where the dubs were atrocious. The dubs of dubs have gotten a lot better in anime since mm-hmm. then, right? Try telling that to some of my otaku friends. I know. I've been, I talk to them. I talk to those kind of people all the time. They're all convinced it's all four kids that they're turning rice balls into donuts. <laughs> rice balls right. into donuts. Okay. That's, uh, that's one of the lesser known Jesus miracles. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> when he turned rice balls into donuts. But uh, I would say. I only sampled the Japanese a little bit in terms of the dub. I actually thought the dub was surprisingly good. Is it the greatest anime dub I've ever heard? Was- no, but it's hard to, it's hard to reach those kinds of levels for me. It wasn't like a, it's not the best dub I've heard this, yeah. this in the last year, but it's, it was serviceable. It did not there's there may have been a couple of weird translation things my only real issue which i'm trying to stay away from that till we actually get to animation is the lip flaps didn't always match right but that's that that'll come back when we actually talk animation yeah Uh, 
Yeah, I, I will but, say that uh, I don't I, think the there's... The dub itself, I think, worked very right. well. I don't think any of the dub actors give a bad performance. Yeah. I wouldn't say anybody in here was bad or phoning it in or anything like that. The They definitely worked hard to find some good actors for the kids, which is hard to mm-hmm. do. Yeah, agreed. Because they actually do sound like kids. Yeah, I don't know if all of them are kids... Sometimes well, they will, really sometimes they, if for dubs, yeah. they will cast women who can pass themselves off as kids. Well, that's yeah. a standard thing in Western cartoons anyway. True. Yeah. I mean, technically Japan does that too, yeah. because that's why you now have an 80 year old woman voicing Goku. <laughs> Japan passed away. Just, Did she? Yeah. I didn't see that. That's just wild. Yeah. That, that is just wild. Yeah. So going off of the dub, I would say it's solid work. Nowhere near close to say like a Cowboy Bebop dub where the dub is honestly better than the Japanese. True. That is, that's the gold standard right there for anime dubs is Cowboy Bebop. But yeah. So do you want to save animation for last or do you want to get into it now? Uh. Rip the band-aid off. Let's go ahead and get rid- get it over with. All right, rip the band well, we'll rip the band-aid off. Now I, I, mean, I know the animation full- the animation has been a sticking point for yeah. people for what I've seen online. I am, I'm not gonna go full rant master on this because I don't feel that harshly about it. Because honestly, I think the prop my, my the because the animation for the monsters is spot on. I have nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you can tell that they definitely prioritized the kaiju. Definitely where the money went. Yeah. And even if you did this as a 2D anime, I still say keep the monsters in this 3D style because it works. And they they still felt like they had weight, even though it was moving fast. Mm -hmm. That was what, that's what Singular Point did. Exactly. Mm. Now, the humans, on the other hand, I have tried to toss this around in my mind as many ways as I could to figure out what was really the problem here, because this is a similar technique that uh, some Western studios use for 3d, 2d animation, like Mm -hmm. uh, the the spider verse series, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that works while this almost does not. So I don't, the closest show I can think of that has this animation style exactly would be Ruby, the that Rooster yeah, Teeth does. Agreed, right? That's agreed. probably the closest. But like that, they were trying. They were using the cheapest software they could get because they were a small company when the thing started. So I think that's what it comes down to. Is like I would have preferred the humans to have been animated in two dimensions the way you would do a normal anime. That's some of that could have been relatively cheap and it would have looked fine. I think. But instead, they not only use 3D, they tried to actually match the mouth uh, shapes of the Japanese dialogue, which makes your English dub look even worse. Yeah, agree. Because it's ne- that's never going to match up. It's the same problem Akira has with its English dubs, is that it can never match because they used uh, the Japanese dubs... Uh, mouth flaps so that ma- mouth shapes instead of just the generic mouth flaps you see in most anime uh, the animation for what it was i don't consider bad but i it's just it's it, the biggest issue is it just does not 
work and some of the anime some of the some of that looks like it's running in single digit frames per second in a lot of instances yeah it does it's but let's be honest it's still better animated than the legend of titanic yes yeah, yeah. better dub well, too yeah but definitely better dub better dub yeah agreed yeah but, I, but here's the yeah. thing i've heard an interesting defense that i've heard is that even with 2d traditional anime the frame rates are lower compared to yes. you know compared to western compared to western we'll but, but the thing is that's why it never looks as good with 3d anime because you ha- you ran into the same problem with uh the movie uh dragon ball super superhero where they did this they use this uh Will look like the models from the from the Dragon Ball Fighter Z game hmm. for a lot for a lot of the char- for a lot of the character models because it was in three D and then or um oh, what was that uh, Berserk that Berserk OVA yeah that was that model remake has had the same type of problems with yeah. it right yeah and I mean I'm it not saying I'm not saying it's unfounded I I work. get it I get it the the monsters. When they're on screen, you can tell that's where the money went. Their their yeah. animation is fluid. It it's it looks amazing. The human characters are a bit stiffer by comparison. Now, I will say I've seen far stiffer animation <laughs> than this. Yes, true. Yes, and and and, I'll, and I th- I have seen this animation style with the humans done better. It's just here. It's just like that. It does feel like they ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, we come to do the rest of it, right? Well, like, like you said, that this is kind of standard for a Gamera production. Yeah, where it's the it it gets made by the lesser studio, and honestly, the only time I would say that there's an exception to you know having a smaller budget and not being hindered by it would honestly be the Heisei trilogy, because the yeah. Heisei trilogy was made when you watch those movies. Keep in mind. But several of the two of those were being made at well one was being made at no two of them were being made i should say at the same time as heisei godzilla films one of the last one was being made at the same time as the heisei mothra trilogy that's toho they got buckets of money in japan but those heisei yeah. gamera movies half the half the budget and they look infinitely better oh that mothra trilogy is so a thing yeah <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just saying gamera blew every blew everything that toho was doing out of the water with a smaller mm-hmm. budget it's incredible what was accomplished there right and i would yeah. say that the brave exemplifies that too the brave however does benefit from having a simpler and more grounded story but there's still some ambitious special effects sequences in there. It's yeah. a little bit fresh in my mind because I, re- I rewatched the movie recently to do a video with Bex for one monstrous moment that the Omni viewer was putting on. So that's the thing about the animation on the monster fights here because there, when, when the monster fights got started, I was like, okay, here's what I'm here for. Let's see some awesome stuff. And my favorite, I have to say my favorite moment was when we finally get to see the, uh, Bakugan version of of Gamera's flight, you know, the the giant top, it starts spinning up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, finally, this is getting good. And then he just goes right smack into knife face. I'm sorry. I don't remember the monster's name. Giron, sorry. And he just cuts him straight up in half like a, like a, like a, 
skill saw. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, which we'll get my into. My inner twelve year old came out so many times. Watching yeah, the well, which you know, we'll get it. Well, you know what? Let's just talk about that right now. You know the yeah. well, the I, actual I the monster the, the monster. Well, I thought. say fight scenes. It's mostly the monsters. Yeah in this do we want to let do we want to let jacob give his thoughts on the animation because sure, i kind of took sure. over most of that sorry <laughs> sorry I, I would say definitely from an animation standpoint the use of the cg models for the monsters or the kaiju again we'll get into that in a minute but uh that's great minus when they use it on the humans the humans feel like they're on ones the entire time, um, they feel like they're on fives. On fives, <laughs> ones would have been amazing. Okay, <laughs> fives. Okay, fives. They were using fives on these characters, and the characters are so. Their expressions are so limited. They are. There, there are so many points where it's so cringy watching characters try to talk, mm-hmm. and it's so just like, oh my gosh, this this is embarrassing to watch in some cases. And it's just like, oh my gosh! They're like they don't feel like characters. They feel like like sometimes they feel like like robotics that have been yeah. animated, and it's just they, cringy. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! For those like, who don't know what, what what Jacob was talking about when he said animated on ones, uh, when you're animating, sure. Uh, every time, uh, what we're referring to is how often the animation is actually updated per film frame. Yeah. The really nice expensive stuff is updated every frame, and that's called being animating on ones. Most of your like Saturday morning cartoons back in the day were animated on twos because they updated every other frame, mm-hmm. which resulted in a little bit more of a jittery kind of feel to it. Yeah, this didn't feel like it was even twos. Uh, yeah, because it, it literally it literally for the humans like would just be yeah doing, for the humans would be doing this number trying to run and just like like they're in threes and fours. It's just like they're. They're moving like this. Yeah. There's no fluidity at all. Yeah. I mean, you, you get to the, the kaiju fights, though, and then all of a sudden we're running at 60 frames per second. Yeah, we're not exactly. even at 30 frames anymore. Right. So. Well, in their defense, a lot of anime, especially older anime, again, was not getting, you know, wasn't getting, how did you put it? Animated a animated on ones a lot of a lot of older anime is animated on twos yeah uh, on twos and that's if and there's and that's when there's are, actual movement that's they, the thing they, they do they admittedly anime does a lot of especially the older stuff has a lot of times where the only thing animating is a small little mouth on that's only yeah, taking exactly. up a, a, a minuscule amount of the screen yeah <laughs> while the camera pans while piccolo is saying goku has got to uh, yeah, get they could, up to yeah. A certain power level. I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, anime, anime, older anime used a lot of cheats. Yeah, you know, to save on animation, and then that just became the standard style. And mm-hmm. a lot of but modern the- anime still emulates that, even though they clearly right. are don't have to. Like they've got the money, and, and that to- works. That works in two D animation. It doesn't work in 3D. I'm no, sorry. It, it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. The fight scenes are different because we're already, because th- those are animated like a, like a movie, basically. Yeah. Right. But trying to hit those slow, hit, trying to hit those keyframes and then staying on those keyframes for long periods of time and then a quick movement here, it, it's, it's animatronic almost. Yeah. Makes me glad it, it, that we didn't. Really... We're just lucky this wasn't Five Nights at Freddy's, it, right? I, 
I it makes me glad we didn't really have any action sequences with the humans, other than yeah. they yeah. would run. <laughs> yeah, and that oh my gosh! The, at least there were some shots where the humans were in shot with the monsters, yeah. and in those moments, you could tell the monster fight team was in charge of the animation on the humans in there. They looked fine. Yeah, but when you get back to the drum, the drama animators, and it's like. <clears throat> Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Again, the, I, I guess that means we, we really got to give credit to the writers and the voice actors because, you know, yeah. for yeah, actually co- creating some compelling characters and story, despite the limitations of the animation at that point. True. Like I said, what they should have done was animated the humans in 2D and the monster fights in 3D, and it would have been fine. Just like uh, Singular Point did it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does make it feel uneven. Mm-hmm. It really does, it's especially since, and I've CGI in Japan is still, I would say, behind what is being produced in the West, particularly in the United States. It's still but it, behind. It's, it's because the, the, the America jumped on it faster, right? They jumped True. on it faster. I mean, it, at the time, you, you look at like the '90s. We were lagging behind Japan in 2D animation. Oh, yeah. Even the Disney oh. stuff was not matching what anime was doing. Right, right. Yeah, and I would argue that when you see a traditional, a traditionally animated anime, it still leaps and bounds ahead of what a lot of when you see any 2D animation yeah. being produced in the United States or the or just the West. It. You feel it feels like it's still playing catch up with anime, mm-hmm. but the CGI, uh, it's not quite there. Just go back and look at the film Castle in the Sky. It's the first yeah. fully Studio Ghibli film. It's like 1980s, mm-hmm. and it puts something like the uh, oh, what's a modern? Well, it, it, animation wise, it puts uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame to shame. Yeah, Hercules doesn't look as good as that film. Mm-hmm. And these are the top Disney films of what before two D before Disney dropped two D. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the last not, the last two D animated Disney film was The Princess and the Frog. Princess and the Frog, yes. and that actually looks good, but that's a CG two D film. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was animated on a computer; it was not animated by hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. it's ve- it's two D vector, not two D cell. Right, right, but. This is what happens when you get the cartoon guys on here. Yeah, I well, which I that's why I'm having you guys on here mm-hmm. for exactly for this reason because, and I do think what you're talking about with the differences in the animation, I do think that it definitely affected you more than it affected me. I will admit mm-hmm. that. Yeah, well, I'm not. Admittedly- I, I am not ignorant of it, but I it clearly bothered yeah. you more than it did me. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, we are spoiled, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because we have watched so much and we are so used to looking for certain things, and so when you see something that's jarring, mm-hmm. it, it, it hits a, it strikes a bigger tone. Right. I oh, I totally understand that. I totally understand that. But you know, since we've already been talking about it, you know, let's let's talk about the kaiju designs and the fight scenes, and then we'll you know we'll talk about the 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 actual human character designs. As I saw some people were talking about that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when things were starting to be revealed. I also, before we continue, because I didn't put this on here, I do want to mention at least briefly 
the composer for this series, which is Shuji Katayama. He did a very good job with this. He did. Yeah, In particular, well I love, since we're talking about it, I love the fight theme. In mm-hmm. this, when Gamera shows up, I need that track in my life. <laughs> yeah. It sounds kind of Pacific Rimish, which might be part of why I like it. Yes. <laughs> but it it's, it's something new thing. and mm. unique. And when it starts playing, you get excited because you're like, oh, Gamera's here now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and the version of the Gamera March that he used yes. in the credits of episode six, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this is beautiful for what it is. If it weren't for the fact that I am hearing, I'm hearing the the MSC3K lyrics on top of this in my head. (laughs) Yeah, because there's no lyrics. It's just a cover. It's and it's a very, it's a very nice cover. It's it's taken very seriously. Mm -hmm. This cover, and it's almost somber. To be honest, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very yeah. well. This movie, this show, ends somberly. It's it like does. we we had all these great action fight scenes, but it ends sad. So it it fits. It really does fit because it is talking about the end of childhood. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is actually very something melancholy. Which is yeah, very melancholy. Which is something else I want to mention since we're on the style thing. I a couple of the episode titles. Made me, uh, you know, th- made me as a nerd pretty happy. The first two kind of play off of each other a little bit because it's over Tokyo and then undercurrent. Mm-hmm. And then you have Run Silent, Run Deep, which is takes place on a submarine. That's episode three. And that is actually the ref- a reference to a novel and, yeah. a, the, and a, a movie from the 50s based on that novel. And, oh, I'm trying to remember. There was, uh, there were a couple of really famous actors in it. Let me look that up really quick because it, it's the it's a very classic movie. It was oh Clark Gable, Burt Lancaster, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it, it's a pretty big deal of a movie. Yeah, Bert, Clark Gable, Burt Lancaster, and then you have just kill in all caps because that's when Giron yeah. shows up. But I've already mentioned Childhood's End. Episode five is another classic sci-fi novel reference. It's the its title is The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. That is the title of a Robert Heinlein book. Ah. Mm. And one that sounds eerily relevant to what's going on because it's about a lunar colony. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm going to I want to double check here. Yeah, you know, cuz there's a little bit more to the plot than that. Let me see. So, the the not uh, see uh I'm trying to vamp here while we uh while I do this let's see uh about a lunar colony's revolt against absentee rule from earth there you go it's the story in a nutshell there so i that all mm-hmm. amused me but so the the music was surprisingly good i want the soundtrack for this, if for no other yeah. reason than I want that fight music. <laughs> but anyway, the yeah, kaiju. The music in this was very good. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the. We, well, we've talked about the fight scenes and how they're animated much more fluidly. I will say this is definitely an example, and a lot of people complained about this 
with the Godzilla anime trilogy, this really does take advantage of the fact that this is an animated production. It takes advantage mm-hmm, right. of that. It is not limited by what can be done with suits. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It takes full advantage of it. But the funny thing is, is there are still points where it feels like it's suitmation until you get to some of the wilder things. You know, like mm-hmm. Giron is probably who's probably my favorite redesign out of all of these. Giron is nuts because he just throws himself and he's very limber. Mm-hmm. So he can like yeah. throws himself around so he can actually slash with his knife head and his the knife on his head looks like a helmet almost. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. does. So I he was my favorite. Well, my favorite. Which of the monsters was your guys' favorite? I liked Virus a lot just because I, I love this idea. Because, like, this was the big boss fight. This was, uh, to me, this this felt like the equivalent of uh, Sephir Sephiroth at the end of Final Fantasy VII. It's like, this is the big fight. And I was it was so much fun to watch uh, th- that fight, even though there wasn't anything that was, like, too crazy but the idea of, of him of virus launching like a rocket chasing the spaceship and then uh gamma having to come up after him and pretty much shoot shoot his energy wave right smack through the center of him it's like oh that is so cool <laughs> yeah well, we get it, Jimmy. He's your favorite, too. You are pleased. Of course he's Jimmy's favorite. <laughs> of course you're Jimmy's favorite. What did you think of how they beat him here? Oh, you could have done it in five minutes. Sure. I'm sure you could, Jimmy. I'm sure you could, mm-hmm. Jimmy. Yeah, because you beat him once already. We get it. Also, Virus is one of the board members. That's weird. Um, yeah, that oh. is very weird. It is weird. And all he it's talks about his all he talks about is his octopoidal fury. So I mean, is like Florabella or, or sitting on the board in his place and he's talking through her or what? No, 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 no. The, they're they tried causing trouble once. And oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. They, about and then that. my and then my pseudo sister took care of that. Right. Yeah, they're not around anymore. No, it's just that freaking squid. <laughs> I would assume that would make board meetings very interesting. Yes. He's a very angry Sajin, <laughs> from what I understand. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so. Well, yeah, he can't get down to human size, so no, that makes can. sense. He can. Virus can be human sized. Not if this I one, was, but Yeah. If I was to say my favorite um, monster of the episode would be now correct me in the name because I don't remember the names of these uh, these monsters. Fair. So the uh, the uh, bladed monster. Euron. Euron. Same one yeah, as I, same one that I like. It, it had like exactly be like you have this monstrous blade and it's like he's gonna be like he has to th- he literally throws himself to use his head as a weapon mm-hmm. and the way he opens his mouth has more of that like blade to vampire kind of that homage in a way I don't know if they're homaging it or just be like it reminds me so much of that mm-hmm. and just like his design the way he uses his attacks that it focuses through the tip of the blade. And um, like he impales Gamera, which he did in he, the he, well, he did virus 
Virus, whatever, impaled Gamera. If mm, Giron yeah. slashed at him, he didn't get a chance to actually stab him, for what I can remember, but he slashed him. Yeah, he slashed him good, too. So, yeah. And, and yeah, actually, yeah. that's the crazy thing in this one. Kind of like in Gamera 3, spoiler warning, Gamera gets his arm cut off, and it doesn't grow back. Yeah, that threw yeah, that me was, off. That was surprising. I was waiting for it to grow back, and it doesn't grow back. He gave, For well, an episode and a half, he has one arm. <laughs> that actually brings up one question that Jacob actually asked me last week, and I didn't have a good answer for him. Hmm. Why is it in flight mode he has flippers, but on ground yeah, he's exactly. got claws? That is a Heisei thing, uh, starting in Gamera 2. The, uh, the thought is that using the flippers makes him more aerodynamic. Right, but where yeah. do the flippers come, come from? from? I don't know. He changes his hands. So he's a shapeshifter. Yeah, Apparently. minor shapeshifter. Okay. Or as, or as Drew said, it'd be like, he's a magical turtle. He's pretty much. Magical, magical turtle. turtle. He's a magical yeah. turtle. Of course, he's a magical turtle. But uh, looking, I've got the Prince silhouette posters for all the kaiju on here. I will tell yeah. you, yeah, Giron is my favorite. The one that's probably the most radically redesigned compared to the original is Zigra, the yeah. shark. He looks almost more like a manta ray in this. He also, mm-hmm. other than I, I think he talked. I think he. It sounded like he said something in some sort of unintelligible language yeah. once in the original movie. He could talk. Yeah, because he was a he was basically an alien overlord, and. It, Virus, hey, Virus, whatever is not. He's just a crazier version of his original design. They make him more Lovecraftian in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Gauss, it's different, but it doesn't diverge too much from what we've seen of Gauss before. Even other than the Super Gauss that we see in Episode Six, you know that yeah. the one that mutates a bit. It starts looking a little bit more like Zetus from Gamera the Brave with the big hood looking thing on his head. Mm-hmm. Otherwise not all that different. Jiger. Jiger is recognizable as Jiger, but Jiger almost feels like a downgrade compared to the original. It, the, yeah. Jiger is bonkers in the original, in her original movie. Cause Jiger's female. Jiger is insane. J- Jiger has a laundry list of yet. superpowers mm-hmm. and does things that I that seemed like it was anticipating other scarier movies. Like Jiger has, can shoot a, a, a beam off of her horn that turns people to skeletons. Mm. And she, the most notable thing, and they bring it back in this, but they, again, they nerf it is the blade tail in the original movie, her blade tail. Oh, and she could shoot needles out of her mm-hmm. nose and she would do things like, like shoot those through Gamera's wrist so he can't go into his shell. It sounds mm. like it hurts. Oh, it, it yeah. was it's Yowch. painful to watch. It's very very painful to watch. But anyway, the but then the, the most infamous thing Jiger could do is that her blade tail can inject eggs into its victims. Ooh. Basically, alien. a Gamera yeah, versus Jiger was alien before alien. Yeah. It's nuts, because then the Kennys have to go inside Gamera in a submarine to kill the babies. 
And apparently the inside of Gamera is a cave with breathable air. It makes because no of sense. course it is because of course it is. It makes no sense. Anyway, so yeah, so Jiger's nuts, absolutely nuts. So this version feels nerfed by comparison. I thought they were going to make Jiger a horde beast at first, but that doesn't last very long. Gauss is closer to a horde beast in this, at least in episode one. Episode two, no, mm -hmm. because it's one just it's just one crazy Gauss. Yeah. So, with all of that in mind, that's why Giron ends up being my favorite of the bunch. Because, again, he's recognizable, and they do a lot of clever and cool things with this new redesign. Whereas the rest of them, not quite as much. They look more predictable. Or it's a downgrade, I would argue. Mm -hmm. Especially Jiger. But that's my take. You guys have mm -hmm. anything to say about that? No, I don't know how I don't have any cards to play into it. So, uh, well, what about you, Drew? You've seen most mm. of the show on movies. I release the virus. That's all I have to say. <laughs> release the virus. <laughs> sure, you put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you can put that on a T-shirt. Now, like I said, they take advantage of the fact that this is animated for mm, yeah. the, for the kaiju fights, and good grief, they are brutal at points. They get a little more brutal than I was expecting. Like they I said, are. Gamera loses an arm. When Gamera is fighting those mm -hmm. Gauss at the beginning, he just flat out squishes them. Mm -hmm. squishy, well, squishy. when uh, Giron sl uh, gets sliced in half, you can see his guts yes. going mm -hmm. all the way up. It's like, wow. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I animated a lot for this shot. They can did. Put some of this money towards your human characters. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, you know, as much as they build up Virus as this Lovecraftian horror, this final boss, that fight felt a little anticlimactic. There was a lot other going on in that in that during that battle than just it, Gamera versus Virus. That is true, but it basically That's just part a, of the issue. it basically as wild as it is, because technically what's going on is crazy, because yeah. Virus can fly like a rocket, and then Gamera follows him. And then mm -hmm. basically rams, but then it just ends with him just ramming right through him. And there's a lot of drama going on for sure. Cause Gamera is trying to save the kids. Cause right. Virus is trying to get the kids in the space shuttle, which then prompts mm -hmm. Joe to have to sacrifice himself. But, but I, mean, I, I, part of the reason I liked Virus is, is the, is the redesign on him. Cause it looks, yeah, it's a squid. It's a giant squid, but it looks like it's, it, it, it looks like it's almost built out, made out of stone. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But anyway. Right. Yeah. But like but I yeah, said, the fight it, itself, yeah, it's admittedly not as exciting. Yeah, not quite. Not quite. And the, the Ziggra fight, there's a couple of them. But the thing is, is that one is underwater, which, you know, that, that that's a little hard to make, you know, extremely exciting. And then there's the mm -hmm. one on the on land, but Ziggur is at a major disadvantage. This version, anyway, is at a major disadvantage on land. Not quite as exciting. Yeah, you know the, I so I would say not only is Giron my favorite of the redesigns, he's also my favorite fight kaiju fight in the show. Personally, what about you guys? No. All sounds good to me. Yeah, same. All right. 
All righty then. So let's talk at least a little bit, at least a little bit about the action. I know we've been taking a dump on the human characters. Oh, getting a warning that my laptop wants to die. My apologies for the weird sound effect. (laughs) Kaiju lovers. But anyway, let's talk about the character designs of our humans at least a little bit. I know some people weren't, when they were first revealed, weren't the most impressed with them. Am I going to sit here and say that these are the most memorable anime character designs I've ever seen? No. (laughs) No. But I don't think they were meant to be. They're supposed to be ordinary people. The character designs are when... You know, I, I've bashed, we bashed on the, on the animation itself, yeah. but a lot of times they are, there are instances where, you know, there parts of the scene are not moving and everyone's just kind of, and everyone who's not, you know, the active, active animated one mm-hmm. is frozen in place. And in those instances, I would forget that I was looking at a 3d image because it looked, because the character design worked so well as a, in, in that mm-hmm. format. The character designs, I think, actually work fairly well. The only real issues is when you see one at a weird angle because of the 3D. And not to mention a lot of the hair in this does some weird things. Yeah, 3D anime hair can get cumbersome. Yeah, it it looks like everyone's got dreads. Mm, Multicolored dreads. Yeah. Yeah, which might explain why most of the characters Yeah, it might which might explain why most of the characters have simple haircuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I think like the I think the wildest hair in here is probably Emiko. Yes, yeah. but it works for her. It's a very smart and uh smart hair design on intelligent looking hair design. It works for her as a scientist. Mm. And thankfully she does not have a lot of instances where that hair needs to be animated crazily. Right. True. I will say one weird thing I noticed about her character design, because I'm a firm believer that when you design a character, it should tell you something about the character themselves. You don't just make a character to look cool, just to look cool. It should tell you something Mm -hmm. about them. That's actually part Mm -hmm. of their character. And one of the things that I thought was inter- that was kind of odd about Emiko is that she's supposed to be this brilliant scientist lady, but she's walking around in shorts. Not only that, it's shorts that she has clearly hiked up a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting. So I was like, is this supposed to be because she's young and wants to show off how pretty she is? Because she does do that once, and maybe that was the idea. That's supposed to ingratiate her to people if she flaunts herself a little bit. I think it's because she's... I think it's because she's she's secretly the evil conspiracy princess, and she knows she can get away with whatever she wants. Basically, true. She does. She she didn't necessarily need to walk around in a lab coat the whole time. She could have walked around in anything and still be cons- looked upon as a respected scientist because yeah. that's what everyone in her organization saw her as, mm-hmm. or was essentially acting like she was. But she did just as almost as cover for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I will say this about the animation. Should have brought this up. The Ultraman anime on Netflix notably had the same problem, except in that case, it would just be when the characters get into fight scenes, suddenly the animation gets better. When they're Mm -hmm. not in a fight scene, it's kind of stiff. And that was actually 
made by a higher profile studio even i think it, that's why i'm not really blaming the animation studio for the, for this animation yeah i just think it's a it's a weird uh sticking point for this for that's for this for uh yeah yeah it was production ig and they know how to make good stuff so Mm -hmm. that that one's a little weird 3d just works really looks really weird on anime yeah it's just all character yeah yeah it just does it does but just because of the aesthetic that everyone keeps wanting to use Mm mm-hmm you know, because there's, if they had if they had made an original look for the characters that uh, fit the 3D better, I could work with it. Yeah, but it, because they're, we're still using mostly minimalist anime design, a lot of times it just feels like I'm looking at animatronics. Yeah, True. I can understand that. I can understand that. So. Anything else to say about style before we move on? I think I've we've covered all. Let me get us back to that. So I think we covered all the major things there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So nothing to say on character designs, Jacob. Uh, character designs. I think we all kind of hit it. Was like the use of 3D for the monsters. Great idea. Not so much for the human characters. Uh, design wise, be like, yeah, they look like you know, normal characters. There's no like mm-hmm. outrageous, you know, be like this person's wearing a cape for some reason. Uh, but like design wise, it's very simple. It's very to the point. It has a certain, it kind of tells you a little bit of who the character is, but doesn't give away everything in some capacities. Yeah. But overall be like the designer designs good. Right. I will throw kudos towards the character design for Junichi. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, you don't realize just looking at the character that that's a, uh, that's a girl. Yeah. But yet right after they give it away, you see it. Yeah. It's, it, you don't normally get that a lot of times with an androgynous character like that in, yeah. in, in design. Cause here, here's my thought. Here's my thought on, uh, in, in how do you pronounce your Androgynous. Name? No. Junichi. Junichi. Yeah. Like Junichi's character. Like in the first two episodes, be like you be like just played as a normal character, like it's the character is a boy. But once you realize at the end of season, the end of episode three, going into four, be like, and then you start to notice, be like the like the way her eyelashes work, mm-hmm. or how she moves her shoulders, or something like that. It's very they, they, her, they, her femininity is very subtle. Yeah, because they start and, to play into that more. Yeah, like mm-hmm. once you get the revelation, be like, oh, she's actually a girl. They start mm-hmm. playing into it more, right? In, in some very subtle ways, very yeah. subtle. They give the more feminine of her character, yeah, to come out. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, we've been at this for <laughs> for quite some time. I I haven't seen any questions in the chat, so you know, you know we've had a pretty quiet chat throughout this live stream, which is fine. So I was gonna use this time to take questions from the chat. Otherwise. I would say we can, you know, just give our final thoughts on this. I will simply say I, you know, there were a couple of points where the show did surprise me, but I mostly got what I expected and honestly, I think that's perfectly fine. I don't think everything needs to be groundbreaking. Some of the best Godzilla films are ones that don't do anything new, they just do what the franchise does really well. Case in point, mm-hmm. Mothra versus Godzilla. Mothra versus Godzilla does nothing new in 
you know, compared to the movies that came before it, but what it does, it does extremely well. And I would say for the most part, this does Gamera pretty well, you know? Yeah. And that's all I could, that's all I would really want. That's all I really want. Maybe season two, if they do a season two, they can try breaking some new ground. Give it a try. Yeah. You know, otherwise. If they get a season two. Yeah. If they get a season two or if they make a new movie, do something groundbreaking. There hasn't really been anything truly groundbreaking in Gamera since the Heisei trilogy. As much as I love the brave, the brave is just a show is basically just a show, a movie, but good. So I know that wasn't necessarily revolutionary, but it didn't need to be. It just needed to be an extremely sincere kids movie that dealt with some very, you know, very serious subject matter. This doesn't quite go there. This is more of an action romp, you know, coming of age, Stuff like that, but that's like I said, it's perfectly fine. It's what I expected, and sometimes that's all you need to do. What do you guys think? Uh, you're right in that this is not really doing anything revolutionary with either kaiju or even animated kaiju. I think it fits, it doesn't need to be though. Like you said, this is if this if we're going to use this as an introduction to what Gamera could be in the 21st century, right? I guess it's not just the 21st century because they have had 21st century Gamera films. One, one, Gamera. I mean, I'll say in the Rewa era, I'll then. Yeah. Um, I think this this is a good introduction for that. We can save the really spectacular stuff for the revolutionary stuff for like for like a season two or another movie. This is just serves as a good interaction to what Gamera is. It's Gamera is the friend to all children. The fights are bloody, and it's not really meant to be a deep series. It's meant to be a fun series, right? And that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I uh, again coming at it more like you know a Padawan when it comes to like something new and understanding. Uh, at first, like watching this movie is like I really didn't enjoy it in some cases. Uh, but I think in this, the context of this conversation, uh, I've cur- come to, it's like, oh, okay, this movie's got a lot, this TV show has got a lot more layers. It's, it's like, it's a very fine onion that you get deeper and deeper into it. And you understand the depth and the, the sorrow of the characters and what Gamera means and what the, the, the children who are, are, uh, uh, almost officially just their num nums to the Kaijus. But, um, there are parts of this be like I enjoyed. I understand be like more the simplicity of it. Uh, I think for me it was like someone who is coming into it without having full information about everything. It was very frustrating to not have like everything I need to understand it because they leave everything kind of open to interpretation or be like, oh, you should know this already or in some capacity. But uh, I enjoyed certain parts of it. Overall, I I kind of enjoyed it in some ways. I the when it got to the fifth and sixth episode, it was more like, oh, okay, we're gonna dump everything on you, mm-hmm. and that got a bit annoying. But I think if they would have you know paced it out, made it twelve episodes, and you know kind of gave it breath and gave it some room to breathe, like a fine wine. I think this would have been a far better show, but I think if we're cutting it down to the core of what kind of show it is, be like it's suitable. 
And uh, I think if they're again, if they give, if they do have a sequel, give it more time to breathe. You know, let let it let the let it let the uh, let the oxygen out a little bit less, and uh, draw the story out a little bit more, and don't use the 3D animation for the for the human characters. Use a different use a different attempt. That's just me. Um, but overall, but I think it's it's a suitable series. Uh, is it something I'm going to go back and watch? Probably not. But uh, I was it was enjoyable to watch for the podcast. Right. Then let me ask you this. Jacob, hmm. given that this is your first exposure to Gamera, has it inspired you to look into other Gamera media like the films? Uh, I think in some ways, yes. In some ways that I think it would be interesting to see. Now, granted, how far back does Gamera go? In oh, just as far back as Godzilla. Yeah, no, the, okay, si- the so mid-60s. He came, about, it was about, he came about 10 years after Godzilla. Okay, so mid sixties, nineteen sixty-five. Okay, so but, but there are far less films. Yeah, there's okay. there's twelve. Okay, so if I was to watch a a Gamera film from the past, what would you recommend? The Heisei trilogy and the Brave. Mm-hmm. I think that that is not only top shelf, top tier Gamera. It's the Heisei trilogy in particular is arguably peak kaiju cinema it is some of the best examples of the genre you will ever see and that's why it's so dramatic where gamera went from some of the worst in the in the genre to Mm -hmm. arguably the best like right up there with some of the best godzilla films as the peak of the genre it's incredible the the heisei trilogy is incredible stuff yeah I, i would say it's more uh, not bashing on this show at all, but I think of uh, powerhouse animation and what they did with Monster, uh, not Monster Island. That's your show. Uh, <laughs> Skull Island. Yeah, Skull Island. Using Skull Island. Uh, the animation that I love the animation in Skull Island. So I wish they would have maybe like used more of a hybrid of that with the 3D, with the uh, kaijus, the monster fights. I think that would have been a fantastic and blended it some way mm-hmm. that would that would be more cohesive with each other. Um, but that's just me. That's me being critical of the show. Um, but like there, there are parts of I enjoy. I think they rushed the very end of it. And so it was kind of like, meh. But there's still parts of it more. I'm like, what the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's something to be like, I've watched it. I, I may never come back to it, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Right. And now we actually do have a comment to go over here from Enshoma. He says, mm-hmm. I saw the series. It could have been stronger, but was still a lot better than I feared. It could have been. Hopefully, however, it will lead to bigger and better gamma-related things in the future. I'm yeah. hoping mm-hmm. so as well. I'd love to see another Same. movie. I would rather have another movie than a season two of this, especially if it is going to be Conoco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in a weird way, I want to support this show, and I hope this podcast, this live stream, contributes to that. I just want to see Gamera succeed again. Mm-hmm. I really do. And you know, this grand return like i said doesn't really break any new ground but it reintroduces gamera to 
a new audience. And I hope that that means we can get more in the future. If nothing else, you know, this is the test, you know, this is seeing if the interest is there. And if the interest is there, we've got some big things coming down the road with any luck. Yeah. Sorry. My, ah, my headset's acting up. Sorry guys. There we go. Oh, trying to get it back. There we go. We'll do it live. Anyway. Oh, (laughs) we'll do it live. No lip from you, Jimmy. You should have checked the cords before we started. Anyway, what were you guys saying? I wasn't saying anything. Okay, I I didn't know if you know because I I couldn't hear anything for a second. But anyway, and also, and Shoma would like you guys to know that the '90s trilogy is currently free to view on Tubi. Last I checked, you can also watch it on Amazon Prime. But true. Also, or you can be like me and have the Blu-rays. I was going to say, Jacob, just watch the Blu-rays with Drew. Yeah. Okay. I, I will let you borrow them. You know that. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's start wrapping things up, gentlemen. All right. This is now. Oh, my gosh. Really? StreamYard, be silly like that. <laughs> <laughs> Come the heck on. All right, gentlemen, this is the part where, well, actually, you know, I'm going to give my patrons uh, some shout outs first. So give me a second here. I'm just going to rattle off their names to save us a wee bit of time right now. So I should double check mine while I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you do that. You do that while I find my list. Where is my list? There we go. Where did my Patreon app go? Okay. So, I w- so currently our uh, the MIFV patrons are Travis Alexander, Danny Demana, Eli Harris, Chris, uh, actually uh, not quite Bex from Redeemed Otaku, Damon Noise, these guys, <laughs> hey. Eric Anderson of Nerd Chapel, Ted Williams, Winja the Ninja, Brad Batman, Edelman, Christopher Reiner, the indiscreet one, I think that. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. Jake Hambrick, Edwin Gonzalez, Matt Walsh, but not that Matt Walsh, Jonathan Cartwright, and of course, Tofu Fury! Oh! Who do you guys got? Uh, our patrons are uh, uh, Francisco and Ashley Ruiz, Book of Gaming, and PaulJPowers.com. Woo! And Shoma says, I don't apologize for the wizard versus versus detective seated Silfoot. <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> I haven't watched that film, but I heard the review. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Woo. That was, that was a thing, but uh, yeah. See ya. And Shoma. Thanks for stopping by. All right. So you got your patrons out. All right. Now we come to the all important shameless self promotion because I yeah, that I'm going to be forever associated with that phrase for the rest of my life now. <laughs> well, good idea. We will put it on a t-shirt. I mean, you are the first person I've ever heard admit that it's shameless self-promotion and not just trying to be polite about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I swear I heard it. I, I, I heard the phrase somewhere else. But anyway, what do you got, gentlemen? 
All right. So uh, because this is a crossover with the Cellcast podcast, I have to mention that the Cellcast half of this mm-hmm. is a proud member of the Culture Box Media Network. If you want to hear more about that, go check out culturebox.media. Otherwise, we do a podcast called the Cellcast where we review animated movies and television. Uh, you really you want to hear more Nathan on our show, go check out <laughs> Titanic. The, uh, sorry, the legend of the Titanic. Titanic. Not Titanic. The legend goes on. It, oh, you yes. can understand why that confuses in my head. Yes. <laughs> Ironically, the version, the, the Titanic animated Titanic movie with the rapping dog, was the more respectful version. True. <laughs> That, that 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 episode we did with Nate was so much of a rant. Uh, was that was funny. so much fun. Oh my gosh, that episode was unhinged. <laughs> I mean, it was it was so unhinged yes. that I'm had to re-edit it after I re-release after I released it. So I don't know what happened there. But, we broke uh, it. We broke the internet, guys. Yeah, we broke that's, it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, some of it came off our leash. Even though literally the episode before that, I it was titled, please don't tell me you broke the internet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what we do. You can also follow me on Facebook. Look for my uh, photography at Drew's Photo Bin on Facebook. And uh, yeah, other than that, what do you got, Jacob? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. You can also follow me my art page at Jacob's Daily Art Corner where I try to draw each and every day. I don't get around to it so much, but I'm trying to start doing merchandise, trying to do, you know, shirts, hats, whatever, trying to you know, expand my brand in some capacity. He's, he's trying to make money so he doesn't have to work at the grocery store anymore. That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, be that, yeah let's not work there. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be nice. But uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Jacob B. Heron. Jacob B. Heron, as in, you know, Bradley. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, that's all I got so far. All right. And if you enjoy the Monster Island Film Vault, definitely check out my other two podcasts, Henshin Men, a podcast about the appreciation of Japanese superheroes and their high-flying, high-kicking adventures. Drew was a temporary co-host on that show for a hot minute. <laughs> Indeed. Yep. I saw, I saw another monster get cut in half in that up in the, on that show and when you start watching more ultraman you'll see other dismemberments of guys i'm halfway through the first ultraman so yeah well it's the later ones where they start doing that oh, i'm sure it gets kooky <laughs> oh it does especially kooky, when you like get, especially ultra? when you get to the 70s 70s ultra is a trip anyway and then also check out the power trip a journey through the power rangers franchise which drew was also just on <laughs> yes for car well, ranger i was i was on two months ago and now it's out <laughs> yeah but weird things happen weird True. things do uh, weird things do happen that is a podcast i co-host with michael hamilton who's also been on this show where we talk about power rangers we were talking about super sentai at that point while we were waiting for 30th anniversary power rangers material to come out which will be happening very soon because we already had the we had the 30th anniversary special now we're getting cosmic fury the 30th season. So that'll be a big episode when we get to it. Mm-hmm. I'm also I need to finish down a fury. Yeah. I am also one of the uh, actors in Carl Dutton's stable over at Scyther Inc productions. I am on both power Rangers, the audio drama and recently the X-Men audio drama playing of all people, the Merc with a mouth. <laughs> Yes. I still can't get over that. And I'm actually auditioning to be in an Avengers spinoff for the X-Men show. We'll see how that really? goes. Deadpool could show up in that. Yeah. Oh, yes, Deadpool could show up in that, but I've auditioned for other characters. 
Ah. Uh, audition for other characters. And also check out my author page, NathanJSMarchand.com, if you're interested in learning more about my books or reading a blog that is in desperate need of being updated. Because <laughs> 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 I'm not just a podcaster, I'm a writer. Yeah, you should try reading some of them. Just saying. Have you Wait, even read Jimmy one read? yet? I gave you three of them for Christmas when I first came to the island. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've got a dumb question. Does Jimmy even read? Ooh. Mm. Mm. Uh, Spicy. Spicy. Yes. Mm. Mm. Uh, do not to anger the Jimmy. Mm. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, he's a little I didn't say you were illiterate, Jimmy. I was just questioning whether you enjoyed reading for fun. Yes. Oh. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Mm. That okay. makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that you had to have corrective surgery for what was it again? That sounds made up, but anyway. <laughs> All right. Anywho. Anywho. So, yeah, definitely check out all of those if you want to learn where to follow the podcast on the socials. Listen to the credits if you want to learn how to contact the podcast and send us feedback because we love reading feedback from listeners. Also, listen to the credits. All right. And speaking of credits, Jimmy, cue them. You can follow Jacob on his Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. His Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox at Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page, Drew's photo bin to see his photography. His letterbox page at G. George 759. His Twitter at G. George 759. And Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at the Cellcast Podcast, on Twitch at the Cellcast Gaming, on YouTube at Cellcast, on Twitter at Cast underscore Cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us, and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information, please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L. Filled with meat, we've been eating gamma raw. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. 
yummy children. Nom, 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 nom. 